Belly and the fish. Belly. Belly and the fish. Welcome, friends, to Belly and the Fish. I'm your host, Corbin, a.k.a. the fish, and we got big old Ben. Belly smokes. Hunter. What's going on? A little time off, but we are back. And our co-host, John Charette, joining us again. How we doing, John? Doing good. Joining you from a new top secret bunker. Nah, he sent us the Zillow address. We'll find it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a month off for us, but better late than ever. We got the draft coming up on Thursday. And in honor of that, we have a special guest with us today. My friend from Reddit, an amateur NFL scout. We have Kyler, a.k.a. B077 on Reddit. How are we doing, Kyler? I'm doing great. The draft is only a couple of days away, and we are, uh, we're locked and loaded over here, ready to go. Yep, thanks for coming on. This is like your Super Bowl, isn't it? Uh, I was going to go ahead with and go with Christmas, but yeah, okay. I always like to tell people Super Bowl because the Lions usually are not good enough to make the playoffs. Ah. So it's uh, it's the draft that's exciting because then you get the you know you get the player that this one is going to be the one to turn the franchise around. And uh, every year with a top ten pick, hope abounds. So you've been saying that for a couple decades, huh? We all have. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Always feel this yep. way. About to make me feel real uninformed on this episode. <laughs> I don't know why he agreed to come here. <laughs> You're really batting below your <laughs> below your head here, but let's go. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I I post on Reddit all the time just because it's fun. There's there's a lot of wonderful Lions fans out there, and just trying to you know share the obsessive uh, love of the draft that I have with uh with plenty of other folks so corbin reached out set this up and uh yeah i'm honored to be here today so thank you guys yeah of course man we're happy to have you yeah i figured we could use one more expert since i know that belly you're not doing a lot of research john you're not so bad yourself but kyler caught my eye a couple of months ago because you'll sift through that lion subreddit and there's a bunch of shit in there but there's one guy who was always standing out to me and it was kyler's posts and so I'll have him go in a little bit about his background with scouting, how he got started on it, and his process about it. But the one thing that really caught my eye is how he used Brad Holmes' draft history with the Rams and with the Lions to kind of project and predict what potential picks might be. So, Kyler, I'll let you take away take it away from here. How did you get your start with scouting, and what's your process going into this? Yeah, so I played college football at the Division Three level over at Wheaton College in Illinois. So uh, have a like a background in football, but honestly, like I said, the draft was always just a lot of fun because it was a very optimistic time for a franchise that wasn't always, uh, you know, the most inspiring. And so ended up watching um, a lot of college football, and then as you get to know like those players and see them like transition into the NFL, uh, just becomes a really fun process to to uh, go ahead and watch. So um, as far as actually like getting into the scouting and stuff, that just has to do with my uh, obsessive need to watch football all the time. Um, so I, I watch a ton of different uh, players and uh, games and everything like that. And then what I really started doing, uh, th this really started under the, you know, Quintricia uh, era, the previous regime for Detroit, but um, fans get caught up on a handful of prospects and you really only hear about like a handful of like a dozen or two dozen guys throughout the course of the draft. But the draft is like 250 picks with 
like 400 players who are going through the like the combine and the the undrafted free agent process. And so really just diving into that, what you can start to notice is that these teams actually draft with specific trends and they draft with specific, I, I tend to call it a mold, you know, but just sort of like a, a series of characteristics that kind of describe that, hey, this this team prefers, you know, its tight ends to be taller or, you know, this team likes offensive linemen with really good three cone shuttles or, you know, any any sort of metric like that. Um, and so I started doing that uh, towards the end of the, you know, Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia era, uh, and then transitioned that over to continue doing that once Brad Holmes had taken over. Uh, the issue there was there just wasn't any data to go off of when Holmes was coming in. But you read a lot, uh, especially around the times Holmes got, Holmes got hired, where uh, Les Snead, the Rams general manager at the time, was saying how big of a role uh, you know, Brad Holmes was playing in their draft classes, which produced a lot of the, you know, a lot of the players that helped the Rams win the Super Bowl. Um, and so then really just looking into that, there are a handful of trends that really stick out. And I'd say a good chunk of them, probably about 75 percent of them, uh, Holmes at this point has brought with him to Detroit. Uh, and so it's been really fun actually trying to use that to project which players the Lions are going to be interested in. You know, because uh, you're at this point trying to throw darts at a 400 player board and figure it out. And um, I'd say at this point, gotten pretty good at that, uh, was able to project a handful of the the players the Lions took last year, got uh, had a handful of them who are already on the radar well before the draft. So, you know, just something I like doing and enjoy talking about and sharing with everyone else. Something that's really unique that I noticed, it's. You know, there's a lot of national analysts out there who can provide general scouting on players, but Kyler really does it for their fit with the Lions, and that's something that we really don't have. So I thought that was really unique, and also just kind of analyzing his history to predict what we might realistically take in the draft. So we have a nice mock draft coming up for you. We'll get into a couple other segments as well, but we'll start it off with some Lions talk because we do have some news that dropped this week. This is going to be our final mock before the the NFL draft. So we're going to be doing a first round mock draft with some of our sleepers at the end. Um, Also, we are doing a, a mail time this week, but a lot of the questions are pretty draft focused and we're going to be covering some of those while we are doing the mock draft and after the mock draft. So stick around for that. Also, we've got betting with the belly as always. We're going to touch base on our weight loss competition that ended uh, the end of March. And then of course, bowels of the belly to cap it off. So it's going to be an action packed episode for us and we are excited to get going. So let's start it off with some of the lions talk here. Um, And before we get into the doom and gloom, Let's take a look at what DraftKings has us projected. Our win total is set at 9.5 on the season. So that came out a couple of weeks ago. Of course, I smashed that responsibly because we're going to probably get 12, 13, 14 wins. Who knows? I was right about it last year, so we'll see if we can keep that trend going. Over 9.5, I think that's an easy one for me. Well, shit, we just about beat that this year. I know. Right there. I think it's a fair number though i mean we're right there with the jets too and we'll talk about some of their news that just came down about an hour ago but for a playoff team nine and a half i think that's more than fair and looking at our opponents that we have home and away we don't know the exact schedule yet but i think it's pretty favorable so nine and a half is achievable i'm sure belly's going to be taking the under there but me no pounding the over 
Well, you know, when I moved down to Tennessee a couple years ago, the Titans were good, and they were making the AFC Championship, and the Lions were in the shitter, but I think it's something like Star Wars, where the Force, where one can't exist without the other. So this is a year where I'm, I'm flipping the, being a turncoat once again, and we're going Lions over nine and a half. Oh, that's not going to be good for ratings. You're supposed to be the negative Nancy. Oh, I'll still be negative. So I expect that same energy. Okay, good. Yeah, I don't want that to go away. After you spent every episode yelling at me about my contrarian ways. I like to yell at you. That's fair. That's why we're such good buddies. Uh, I would definitely lean towards the over. I think just looking at it, they have one game at Kansas City on the schedule. And then outside of that, I think just about everyone else looks uh, highly winnable. And especially when you consider the rest of the NFC North. I mean, the Bears are also trying to rebuild, but they're they're even further back than the Lions are. The Vikings were a fraudulent 13-win team. I mean, they 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 won the NFC North almost by default, and now they lost a lot of a lot of the key pieces from that team. I I think it's going to be a great year for the Lions. I think it's um they're they're the betting favorites right now to win the NFC North as well, and I think that's very appropriate at this point. All my bets are in. The Lions arrow is pointing up until a couple of days ago. The news came down. Speaking of DraftKings, we've got some gambling suspensions to talk about here. Jamison Williams, the headliner, Stanley Berryhill, Quintez Sivas, and CJ Moore are all suspended from the team for gambling. Um, Jamo and Stanley Berryhill were only suspended for six games due to gambling on non-NFL games on a team facility all on the property. So that's only a six-game suspension. But Cephas and C.J. Moore are suspended indefinitely and have now been released from the team for betting on NFL games. And obviously this happened a year and a half ago with Calvin Ridley when he was down with the injury, and he served the year suspension. So... It sucks, and, you know, at first I was super pissed because there's a lot going around in the news about how Jamison Williams might have some maturity issues, and I always had his back, you know, because I want him to be a good player, and obviously I am biased, but I'm really starting to get to the end of my rope with him because, yeah, sure, like, you could say it's a dumb rule and everything. Like, it wasn't an NFL game. He was just at the team facility when he placed the bet, when it's just his physical location. So as much as you think that it sucks, these players know the rules. And, you know, maybe that is on, you know, ownership and Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell for not helping that really stick with the players. But at the same time, like, you got to be accountable for yourself. And it's going to hurt to miss him for six games. I mean, we lost DJ Shark, and I know that we got by all last year without him. And for most of the year, you know, it's going to be tough to really help get those wins early on in the season. So... At first, I was really, really hot and pissed off at Jamison Williams, but I've calmed down a little bit. Obviously, he brings something to the table that nobody else can just because of that elite speed, but you know, it's just going to affect his chemistry with Goff is the other thing, too. I'm worried about that because they only had, what, six games playing together last year, and he can participate in OTAs and training camp and preseason, but won't be a part of the team for those six games. So, I mean, he's going to be at a disadvantage, and it just really hurts his chances of really having that breakout year. Yeah, and it was all for a bet under three units. It was nuts. Whatever. He's responsible. <laughs> so credit to JMO for that. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm also – I think the NFL teams actually have to be monitoring it themselves. I mean, you think about even during the 2020 season – when they all had to wear like these tracking uh, like bracelets or something to like show that they weren't sitting by each other. 
you know, during meetings and stuff. I mean, they have like the Wi-Fi in there. As as soon as the players are logged on, they're like recording everything. So um, probably just got a couple of hits off of that. And yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate because Jameson was going to be a big part of the team uh, this year. And even as well, like Cephas and more were, were uh, depth players who were, you know, going to have a good shot to make the 53-man roster. They're out, and that actually might end their NFL careers at this point. But, yeah, it's a tough break for Detroit. They've got those geolocation things for every bet that you place because you think about it, like if you're even across the state line, you can't place a bet. So they know where every single bet's been placed. Yeah, and they got your Sochan lock, and they got, like, the name of all your children and shit like that. That's wild. So they like get a hit from Ford Field from one of the players. They're like, "Oh shit, we got them, boys." Yeah, I mean Barry Hill and Cephas. Like Cephas was fringe to make the roster. I mean our receiver room is deep enough as is. And Barry Hill, I mean he was a practice squad guy. But C.J. Moore, we just paid him two mil a season for two years. That was a four million dollar deal, and that's pretty much all wiped out. I haven't looked at the exact CAC numbers or anything, but he just lost four million dollars because of a stupid mistake. I mean, he's a key special teamer. He was the guy who did that um, that run fake punt. I think it was against the Vikings last season. So, I mean, that's definitely not a guy to just kind of throw in there. I would say Barry Hill and Cephas might be under that, and Jamison's obviously the headliner here. But I'm just happy that he was smart enough not to bet on an NFL game. It's only six games. He still brings something to the table that nobody else can, and we've just got to get by without him for those first six. We did it last year. We can do it again. I'm just thinking about uh, them placing a bet and then losing $4 million. Like, damn, I hope that was a big bet that you won. Yeah. That's the thing is they might not even won that shit. So just not worth it. It sucks. But the good news is, well, knock on wood, this isn't going to happen again because I think everybody on the team should have learned their lesson from that. If Calvin Ridley wasn't an example and up, I think the whole NFL is on notice that these gambling rules in the NFL are, you know, ironclad i just think it's funny that you can get suspended for the same amount of time for beating your wife or just placing a bet on a college football game while you're sitting in a locker room you know i think it's a little hypocritical but the rules are the rules i guess it's kind of weird to me too it was across multiple teams and it all came out at one time like was it like a sting operation they were waiting to drop the anvil or i don't know it's just wild they're clearly on top of it now yeah. Well, there's indications that Brad Holmes was aware that the investigation was happening weeks ago, if not months ago. But obviously, you're not going to release that until the NFL releases their report. So there's kind of clips taken of Brad Holmes talking about Jamison Williams and him being held accountable and whatnot. But still, obviously, the point wasn't drilled home and he's serving the six games. We're going to miss him for sure, but I think we got some solid pieces on offense, and hopefully we won't have a, a slow start like we had the past few seasons because we really need to hit our stride early than later if we want to clear that nine-and-a-half win total. But let's move on. We'll talk about a couple of things that we missed. It has been a month since we had our last episode, so Puli Vudi Vitae has taken a pay cut. He is down from a $12.4 million cap hit to 5 5.05 million. So that's going to save us about seven and a half million this year. So with him in Glasgow and that, uh, you know, one as a starter and one as the reserve, we now have guards who can play tackle and a guard who can play center. So with this move and then the addition of Glasgow, how do you think this is going to impact us during the draft? 
I'll leave it to you, Kyler, because I know that you're the draft expert of us. Okay, perfect. I just I didn't want to intrude too much on your guys's podcast. Other than yeah, that, you've so. been a real okay. dick so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Living up to my Reddit <laughs> reputation. Um, yeah. So I would say, as far as how this impacts the Lions' draft class, uh, I think the bigger thing is not the the actual change in how much Vitae is going to make this year, um, but I think it's that they actually cut the. Uh, he had two more seasons under contract. But with the restructure, not only did it lower his salary this year, but it also actually reduced the remaining years. So he's now going to be a free agent after this year rather than in two years, which is what was expected. So really what the impact for this is going to be is it just it it heightens the need to grab a guard long term. I mean, at the end of this season, they'll have Glasgow expiring deal, Vitae expiring deal. Jonah Jackson is going to need an extension at some point, but I'm also not entirely sure Holmes is going to pay up a, a premium for a guard. Um, so, I mean, really just with all of this, I think you're going to see the Lions at a guard fairly early, maybe first round, maybe not. Um, but I, I think by the end of day two, um, you'll likely see with with those uh, five picks, I think the Lions add someone on the offensive line with one of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Won't impact us immediately, but it definitely will help to have somebody with with some decent draft capital who's ready to step in in case you know two or three of those guys are gone next year. We don't really know, so but I do like how we have that versatility to have you know have Vitai bump out to tackle if needed, or we have Glasgow to fill in at center if needed, and that kind of goes hand in hand with what you've said about Brad Holmes and his strategy of taking guys who have that versatility. So. I'm happy we got him on a little bit of a deal. Opens up some cap space for us this this year, and you know, hopefully, we can roll that over into next year when we really have to start signing some of these younger guys on this team. So, yep, yeah, there there just wasn't a reason to be paying uh, Vitai twelve and a half after. I mean, he's he's fine when he's in, but uh, twelve and a half is is what you're paying for like a all pro guard, and he's yeah. average when he's healthy, and he's not healthy very often. So, reducing that down was a really good call. Yep. And he was a, a signing by the Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia era. So the team does like him, Holmes and Campbell, obviously, if they're bringing him back, but just not at that that contract. So glad we still have him on the team on a reduced salary. Works out for us. But in other news, we're going to get negative again. Jeff Okuda, our darling third overall pick in the 2020 draft has been traded to the Atlanta Falcons for a measly 2023 fifth round pick. And, you know, at first it sucks seeing that because, you know, you're only getting a fifth round pick back for him, but the team wasn't going to renew him for his fifth or they weren't going to take his fifth year option. So that was already off the table. So it's kind of like the TJ Hawkinson trade. We're getting something for him as opposed to letting him walk next year for nothing. And we already brought in a bunch of free agent defensive backs, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley. So those are the guys that this team is expecting to start. Jeff Okuda was expected to compete for a starting job, but realistically, like, coaching staff just didn't see it. You got to trust that Dan Campbell has, you know, a bigger picture in mind, and he just wasn't part of it. It sucks because I do think that he's just getting started in his career just because he's been debilitated by these injuries. But at the same time, we've made other moves to to fill that spot and just didn't really have a role in mind for him. So he 
gets a nice trade for a fresh start. You know, he'll be able to compete for a starting role with the Falcons, and we'll have some more space to make moves in, you know, with in, in the draft, drafting our defensive back. So it sucks to see him go. You would have loved to have seen him panned out. Everybody had high hopes for him, but he just wasn't able to reach that. And, in fact, I think he was – there was whispers that he was benched before that Packers game week 18. So, you know, it's kind of tough because – public doesn't have all the information but you gotta you can't help but feel for the guy well i mean national national media didn't even really have a clue about much of that i mean as soon as the lions traded okuda you had just countless articles like oh lions lions really need a cornerback now they have a major hole here and that was like without realizing that the lions signed uh, two potential starting corners. Uh, Sutton's a for sure starter. Mosley's a likely starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Jerry Jacobs was even ahead of Okuda, you know, by the end of last season. So uh, I think, you know, Corbin, you're kind of on the dot with that. It's it's just an unfortunate situation where it didn't really work out for him for a number of reasons. And the Lions moving him for whatever draft capital they can get is, you know, it, it's the best call for both sides mm-hmm. here. Yeah, so goodbye, Hefe. It was nice knowing you, but we'll see you on the other side, friend. Maybe you'll come back if the Falcons can't resign you next year, but maybe they can take that fifth year. We'll see. Now we had some other free agents who signed new deals in the past month. A couple of small fish, but a bigger one, too. We got Austin Bryant, who went to San Francisco. He's been on the team, I want to say, the past four years. He was solid depth, but only played 33 games, so... Not really going to miss him. Amani Oware, I don't need to say anything about him. Goodbye, good riddance. We don't need you anymore. Josh Woods was a, a captain on special teams, so it sucks to lose him, but we do have a replacement coming in for him, and I'll talk about him in a little bit here. Um, but the biggest departure we had was DJ Chark. He went to the Carolina Panthers, and you know the writing was kind of on the wall with us when we drafted Jamison Williams. We knew that Chark was likely just going to be a one-and-done, and then Jamison Williams would be able to take over that role. He was kind of uh, – we kind of brought him in just to fill the gap while Jamison Williams recovered from that ACL injury. Chark wasn't the healthiest. He missed seven games and barely played against the Vikings. It was good down the stretch, don't get me wrong. I like him a lot as a player, but time for JMO to take over, and unfortunately we just have to wait those six games of the suspension, and, you know, we're sticking to the plan. Nothing's new, but it'll be missed. Chark and Marvin Jones are pretty similar receivers in terms of the route trees they run, what they bring to the team, so I would even put Marvin Jones, eh, he's a little older, but at his peak, definitely higher than Chark. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good segue into the free agency additions. We'll start with Marvin Jones there because we brought him in. At the time, I thought it was more just Jamison Williams insurance, but I think that Shark was signed maybe before the news about Jamison Williams came down, or at least for Brad Holmes until he was made aware of it. And so Holmes made the move to acquire Marvin Jones and bring him back to Detroit just in case he missed some time, and it's a good thing he did because he's a good quality wide receiver three or four, gives us some insurance while we're waiting for Jamison Williams' suspension to be served. It's it's only a one-year deal, $3 million up to $5 million, so I like the deal, and he provides some depth. We're going to need it without Jamison Williams. It's definitely a little bit of a bigger hole than it was just last week. Um, but also, we're bringing back Jalen Reeves-Maven, two former Lions returning to Detroit. He is the guy who is going to be expected to replace Josh Woods. Great special teams player, just a good leader. 
Um, and he'll bring some linebacker depth as well because Chris Board is gone. So those are the two key guys that we brought in. And then also we're bringing back Nate Sudfeld, who's just really a bottom-of-the-barrel quarterback. I don't expect him to be any more than a third stringer, and I really don't even think he's going to be on the roster after we draft because I do expect to add somebody in the draft. And, you know, I I think that the Lions obviously have their sights on some other guys, uh, mainly Teddy Bridgewater. News came out a couple of weeks ago that the Lions have made a strong offer to him, and that was per Jeremy Fowler from ESPN. So what do you guys think about the draft before we really get into it? Does this pretty much guarantee, you know, not bringing in a – a highly touted backup quarterback that we're going to be drafting a guy. I I would actually say that the Teddy Bridgewater news uh, just kind of shows that Holmes is weighing his options and isn't going to force a selection one way or the other. Um, I think looking at it, Teddy Bridgewater is um, he's not the player he used to be, uh, but would be a quality backup at this point, especially compared to Sudfeld. Um, and so I think looking at it, uh, if the Lions did not have this reported thing out there for Bridgewater, I think that would probably say, yeah, they're for sure going to try and get a new quarterback out of this draft. But knowing that they're at least exploring the veteran free agent market, my guess is that they're actually telling Bridgewater, hey, we have an offer for you. It just it's going to depend on what happens in the draft. Like, I don't know if they end up landing a quarterback in the first round, second round, wait until day three or something like that. But I think if they don't end up taking a quarterback, I think you'll see the Lions push to sign Bridgewater to a deal after the draft. Um, but again, I think the reason there's no deal right now is just that they're trying to give themselves that flexibility, not have to commit the money to Bridgewater. If let's say they are really set on drafting someone like Hendon Hooker, for example. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I was very underwhelmed when I saw the resigning. I mean, he's pretty much just there for victory formation, maybe practice squad fodder, if that's what it comes down to. But the, he, the Lions will be adding another quarterback, whether that's in the draft or free agency or both, but not a very big piece of news re-signing Nate Sudfeld. So let's get to the last piece of news that just came down a few hours ago on this Monday, the 24th, and Aaron Rodgers is officially gone. He is traded to the Jets, and I don't want to make this an Aaron Rodgers podcast. I don't want to give him his time in the spotlight because Lord knows that he's already had enough of it. So I'll just let you know the compensation here. The Jets are getting the Packers 15th overall pick in this draft and a 2023 fifth. And the Packers are receiving the number 13 pick in the draft, a 2023 second, which is the 42nd pick, a 2023 six, and a conditional 2024 second that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays for the Jets this year. So... Like I said, let's not waste our breath on Aaron Rodgers. Let's just remember that Kirby Joseph caught Aaron Rodgers' last pass as a Packer, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Jets personally got hosed on this deal, but they want to sell some jerseys, so let them. Why do you think the Jets got hosed? Because they gave up potentially and most likely two first-round picks. They move forward two picks in the in the first round, and they get a first potentially next year, very likely, and a second-round pick. For a guy who might just play one to two years max, and he wasn't even that good this year? 
I think the opposite. So the way I see it is that the first, the two, the two spots is basically a wash. And then basically the way I look at it is if it doesn't work out, you traded two second round picks for Aaron Rodgers and whatever the sixth, fifth bullshit was on the end of it. And if it does work out, the Jets won or whatever. I don't know the exact stipulations of it, but they did well enough to where they were willing to sacrifice it. So the move would have paid off and all you lost out on was the first round pick. If you go far and win the Super Bowl, who cares? Ben, the one thing I'm actually going to disagree with Jan is that the pick swap is actually a wash. So uh, obviously it's only just swapping two spots going from 13 to 15. Uh, but I think when you actually look at the order of the draft, the one thing the Jets still really need, even after this Rodgers trade, is a new left tackle. And you have at least, uh, I would say at least two left tackles in the draft in Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. But now by sliding back even just two spots, the Jets go behind the Patriots, who are another team that's going to need a left tackle, you know, and so there's still a shot they could get someone later in the draft, like Anton Harris uh, or Harrison, sorry, out of Oklahoma. But th the thing is, even just those two spots, that might have actually cost them a franchise left tackle. But what about Darnell Wright? He's a right Darnell tackle. Right. Yeah. He was he was not good gotcha. when he played left tackle. Um, ah, makes sense. You know more than I do. Concede. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conceding. I'm conceding. Oh, his last name is right. Overall, it's just the thing for the Packers, they offloaded $60 million, got probably a first round pick for a dude they didn't really want to want to trade or sorry, didn't want to keep in Rodgers. So I think at the end of the day, this is it's it's a it's a good move for Green Bay. Um, it's what it costs for the Jets. I, I don't I still don't think the cost is that high. Otherwise, you're riding the season with Zach Wilson, right? And we all saw how that worked out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think they paid. Yes, it's Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I think they paid for what they wanted. Not necessarily trying to get just a, a sweetheart deal, but I think it, all the leverage sat in Rodgers' camp, and he probably wasn't going to play. And that was the deal that the Packers wanted to get it done. Um, the no guaranteed first was a big deal for me, at least from the Jets side of it. Mm -hmm. So if it does all go to shit, you lose in two seconds, which, whatever, not that bad of a gamble. Yep. Guys, I said let's not waste our breath on Aaron Rodgers. He's gone. No, you shouldn't have brought it up. We don't need to see him in a Packers uniform ever again. Maybe that's a problem for 2024, but he is not on our schedule for the first time in how long has he been playing, 16 years, some bullshit. So I'm happy to be rid of him. Let's move on. Start warming up for this draft here. So let's just kind of mention some of the Lions' biggest positional needs, and it's in a rough order here. It's not you know, necessarily for immediate need, but more looking towards the future. So I have defensive tackle is our biggest need just because we really only have Isaiah Bugs and Aleem McNeil there. Cornerback, we only have Jerry Jacobs under contract. And and Cam Sutton is isn't Jerry Jacobs under contract two more years or yep. is he done after this? Uh, well, I think I think this season uh, he goes to a restricted free agent uh, tender, which is really easy to retain if they want him to. So theoretically, yes, if the Lions want Jerry Jacobs, they have him for two more years at least. So Jerry Jacobs and Cam Sutton are the only real cornerbacks that we are going to have on the roster after this year. We have Mosley on the one year deal. We got CJ GJ on the one year deal. So. We could be looking at an almost entirely new cornerback room as early as 2024. So long-term, we definitely need a guy that we can groom and be ready to take over as a starter next year. That's a position that I'm looking at in the first round. 
Um, wide receiver, obviously a bigger need now than it was just a couple of weeks ago after the Jamison Williams suspension, but the depth that we already have, we kind of have five guys, Khalif Raymond, Marvin Jones, uh, Josh Reynolds, Jamison, and then Amon Ross St. Brown. So it's tough to say how we're going to make room for another guy there. Um, but obviously with Jamison Williams serving the six-game suspension, that changes things a lot. So I think we could add somebody a little bit later and somebody for the long term just because we do have guys on shorter deals. That backup quarterback spot locked down, maybe a potential starter in the future. Interior offensive line is another big need because we've got three of our starting caliber guards who are all going to be set to hit free agency unless we renew that deal. Linebacker, everyone's pounding the table for one. Running back, we got Swift heading out next year, so we need a good compliment for David Montgomery. Tight end, we've got quite a few guys, but nobody elite. Um, and then offensive tackle, just for some depth there. After we have some guys moving, we kind of need like a swing tackle, a backup guy, or somebody who can fill in on the jumbo packages. So that's almost every single position. Um, but I think that some of those are a much bigger need than others. And if you look at the Lions' top 30 visits, you can see that they are kind of keying in on certain position groups, whether that's edge or defensive line. They visited with some linebackers and defensive backs, but they are really looking into some interior offensive linemen. So I expect the Lions to use some pretty high draft capital, whether that's that 18th pick or some, one of the second-round picks on an offensive guard or offensive tackle. So keep an eye on that. And with that... Let's get into the mock draft, boys. Like I said at the beginning, we're only going to be doing a first-round mock, and we have assigned divisions for everybody here. So Kyler is going to be handling the NFC and AFC North. We'll be doing the NFC, AFC East. John has the NFC, NFC, AFC West, and Belly will do the NFC, AFC South. So he gets to cover the Titans and a lot of those early picks here. John's covering the NSA. Is that what I said? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so let's kick it off here. The first pick in the NFL draft, it goes to the Carolina Panthers, traded from Chicago, and Belly will be making the selection. Who do you got for us? As you all know, I only know the offensive side of the ball for the majority part of everything fantasy football. Um, I've been monitoring this because I do have a couple super flex picks, but um, – Based on uh, everything I've heard, you heard a couple people say Stroud, a couple people say Young, but the live odds have uh, Bryce Young from Alabama going 1.01 to the Panthers, and that's what we're going to stick with in the mock draft. Yeah, I saw that news, and I don't know. I mean, I guess that's who they want, but I like C.J. Stroud personally. I just think that he projects as a better long-term, prototypical pocket passer kind of guy, and Obviously, with Bryce Young, I mean, there's the height concerns. But, I mean, in terms of the mentals, he has everything there. But that's what Vegas says. I agree. I like Stroud better. But, you know what, that's uh, that's not going to happen according to the DraftKings. And DraftKings is never wrong, even though I love to pound favorites and lose all my money. Uh, moving on to number two, yeah? Yes, sir. We're going down to the Texans, and once again, uh, following a lot of articles going around, and it sounds like they're not in love with uh, anybody but Bryce Young. Should he fall? Should Bryce Young not be taken by the Panthers? Um, for the sake of this mock, I'm going to follow that article I read, and we're going to go Will Anderson, number two, to the Texans, and they're going to pray that they get a quarterback later in the draft. Kyler, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, because that's kind of more of a recent development, and... 
I don't know. I think it's just a lot of smoke because they just need quarterbacks so bad. I just don't see it. I think there's some merit behind it. And I think there's a few things. Um, there are actually a lot of uh, rumors coming out that the Texans might be one of those teams that likes uh, Tyree Wilson more than Will Anderson, largely due to his length, uh, you know, and his power, kind of like a, a bigger defensive end like Nick Bosa, like D'Amico Ryan's had over in San Francisco. There's also, um, I think going off of the odds and stuff like that, uh, Will Levis has really climbed up here. Um, and I think as far as finding a quarterback to fit uh, that that offense that the Texans are going to be running, so they're going to install like one of the Kyle Shanahan type offenses with the offensive coordinator being uh, Bobby Slowick coming over from the 49ers. Uh, I think if you look at the QBs for that, Will Levis fits it really well, and I think C.J. Stroud fits it really well. The bigger concern right now for Stroud is the S2 score. Um, he scored historically low on that to the point that teams are uh, a little bit concerned because it's not that you need to get a high score on this to succeed, but it's just that no one who has scored as low as Stroud has actually turned around and succeeded. So uh, as far as the Texans go, I think they're in a spot where D'Amico Ryans is not like he just got hired. He's got a couple of years. Um I think they can afford to be patient with it. That being said, I like the first four quarterbacks in this class. I would definitely lean more towards taking one here. Um, but if the Texans really think they're not going to be good and are going to be able to put themselves, you know, in a really good position for like Caleb Williams or Drake May in 2024, I don't think it's a bad idea. Probably not what I do, but there, there's some merit behind it. Can you explain to us what the S2 score is? Yeah, so it's, it's replaced the Wonderlick, and it's really just a processing exam. So it's uh, it, it's a virtual exam, I believe, and they pretty much just test your ability to read a situation, react, and respond. And so from the quarterback perspective, it's meant to, to effectively kind of show how you're going to diagnose, uh, like, uh, well, an actual, like, play. Um, a lot of it's built on pre-snap motion, post-snap motion for specific plays, uh, so the S2 actually just tries to get a uh, it, it tries to just measure how well you react and respond in like split second decisions like quarterbacks have to do. I do think that D'Amico Ryans is going to bring a different element to that Texans defense that has historically been known, you know, at least in the past 10 years to have a really good defense with like J.J. Watt on there. That's kind of what they used to hang their hat on. But the way I see it is he can get that defense under control, and they didn't have like a terrible defense last year, but they had no offense. And when you're in a position to, you know, maybe grab the you know, the quarterback of your future sitting there at two, I think you got to do it. There's some good guys that you can get defensively, whether that's Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson or Jalen Carter. Or you're when you're sitting where the Texans are, and you know they have a second first round pick as well. I just think it'd be silly not to take a quarterback when there's so many other teams that need them this year. You're not going to be able to find a starter. They're just going to roll the dice with Davis Mills for another year and kick the can down the road again. I don't know. I think they have a little bit more pressure to start really developing in their process as opposed to kicking it down the road for another year. But All right, and that'll bring us to John picking third overall for the Cardinals. And I forgot to mention there's no trades in this mock draft, but the Cardinals are on the, the hot seat to be one of those uh, early trade candidates. So a lot of rumors of people wanting to move up to that third spot, probably for a quarterback. So who do you got here, John? So that was that was something I was actually going to mention, was the fact that especially if 
that it were to fall like this, where uh, the Texans did not take a quarterback and Levis, Stroud, and Richardson were all still available, I think that this third pick would become a very, even a hotter commodity. Like you guys mentioned, um, the Tyree Wilson is a player who was talked about as some teams like him better than, than Will Anderson. Now, because they uh because we're not doing trades i'm gonna take him um but realistically i do think that the the cardinals would trade here let's move on to pick number four going to the indianapolis colts belly you're getting all the spotlight for these first five picks yeah i only did this because the titans uh and then turns out the afc south and the nfc south just got some juice at the top of this draft um this is a guy who's been pretty electric, had a hell of a combine. Um, I, I figured they were either going to somehow get Stroud or Richardson if uh, the Texans passed. But we're going to go with Anthony Richardson, quarterback for Florida at number four. Um, the guy's a dynamic player. He can run. Uh, he's got some throwing stuff he needs to work on. But Colts need a quarterback. They're sick of playing that ring around the rosy game where they just kind of throw in anybody they want at quarterback. And that's my pick. Probably fucking up your guys' draft, but you know what? That's why we're doing it together. I I saw uh, some pretty interesting draft odds on, or uh, uh, betting odds on DraftKings today that Will Levis was going to go number two overall. Yeah, Kyler was talking about that earlier. I apparently missed the news. I feel like I follow a lot of the offensive players pretty religiously, and all of a sudden I checked the odds today, and what's it called, like a it's like a parlay bet that says that Bryce Young and then Will Levis are going to go 1-2 at minus 145, and I didn't see that coming. And specifically, there's a lot of smoke out there that uh, if the Colts have their choice of quarterback like they would here, uh, there's a lot of buzz that the Colts actually really like Will Levis, and he would probably be their choice. And when I first started in this process, I will say, I don't know what it was about Will Levis, but he was my QB1 just like knee-jerk reaction here. And I just think that he has a lot of swag. He's really, really smart dude. And we'll talk about him, I'm sure, in a little bit once he gets picked. It can't be too much longer. But I've just been, really been a Will Levis stan. And when he was like fourth overall, I was like, huh, like that could be some good value right there. I think he's got leadership. He's super athletic. He can run. He can throw. Um, it's just some of the decision-making things that need to be cleaned up. So I really like him a lot as a prospect, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him going as high as two overall to the Texans. Let's go to pick number five. Back to John. It's the Seattle Seahawks pick from Denver. Who are you taking with a Seahawks first first-round pick this year, John? For the Seahawks, uh, I, I even though they did – Sign Gino to a deal. I think I'm gonna stick with the quarterback for them, and uh, I'm gonna take C.J. Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State. And yeah, I know that you were kind of off of that when we first started talking about it. But do you really think that if the Lions are considering a quarterback at six, that the Seahawks wouldn't? I'd rather have Jared Goff over Geno Smith any day. So I think it's a smart move. I think the Seahawks could go. This is kind of the breaking point and. You know, a lot of value has fallen because in this mock, we have three quarterbacks taken off the board, but I wouldn't be surprised to see four. So this really benefits the Lions because, you know, outside of Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson, we have our pick at Jalen Carter or, you know, our favorite cornerback in the class. There's a lot of different ways that we can go with this pick. 
Well, let's kick it to you, Kyler. You're handling the NFC North and by proxy, the Detroit Lions. This is our pick from the Rams. Who are we taking at six? So I'm going to go ahead and with the sixth overall pick, I am going to take Jalen Carter, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Um, I don't know if this is the pick that the Lions would make. Uh, there's a, a difficult thing to figure out here, which is simply how much are the how much of the character concerns do the Lions actually share? Um, if they're comfortable with Carter in their locker room, uh, like that's sort of, sort of the nice thing about having such a great uh, locker room environment is that you can introduce guys who might need a little bit more motivation into that and help them, you know, sort of like adjust to the NFL a bit easier. Um, Carter's the best player in this class outright. So if they're comfortable with that, they absolutely should be making that pick. Um, I think the thing is, though, if they have concerns over that, they don't think the work ethic's going to be there. I think they probably go Witherspoon here. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm going to go ahead and go with Carter. I think he is the best player in this draft, fits the Lions' biggest need, and is pretty much a home run aside from aside from the red flags. And like a lot of players that come into the draft, there's always one big story where you have like a highly touted prospect who just falls down draft boards because of some off the field stuff or some immaturity issues or whatever it might be. Jalen Carter, it was such an unfortunate incident. It resulted in a loss of life. And then obviously there was the whole pro day debacle where he wasn't able to finish the drills, but I'm willing to, you know, side with him a little bit and give him the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, it's a traumatic experience, and that would affect anybody. If you have to, you know, all of a sudden you're expected to be the first overall pick in the entire draft, making millions of dollars a year, you're racing a car, and next thing you know, you have a teammate and a staffer who passes away. It's obviously going to affect your mental state. So talent-wise, he definitely has it to warrant the sixth pick. It's a position of need for the Lions. I love the pick. If Carter's there, I'm hoping we take him. But again, if there's some concerns that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have about, you know, those maturity issues, then I would side with Kyler and say we're probably going cornerback and Devin Witherspoon is looking more likely every day. Hey, Kyler, I I would want to know your thoughts on if CJ Stroud happened to fall and was there at six, do you think there's a chance the Lions would take him? Yeah, so they brought C.J. Stroud in for one of their, uh, they're called top 30 visits. It's not because they're the top 30 players, but they get 30 of them. So the Lions actually brought Stroud in, and I think it just really depends on how that meeting went. Um, some of the concerns of Stroud, even aside from the S2, are just his his overall processing. Like the Ohio State offense is built to make things easy for the for the quarterback, but that's also how the Lions' current offense is set up. Like, that that's really the thing. Like they're not asking Jared Goff to be Patrick Mahomes out there. Um, I think it would be a, a pretty easy fit to have Stroud go in there. A lot of the comparisons you'll actually see from some of the professional scouts do actually have uh, Stroud as like an athletic version of Jared Goff. I think it would really just be, yeah. So it it would be very possible. Um, I don't know how they feel though about his the the mental side of things for him. Um, but but again, I think with with golf needing a big contract coming up, uh, I think it's something they're absolutely going to look into and they'd be fine, you know, pulling the trigger on. But it's just it depends on the specific, uh, you know, evaluation they get with Stroud. Going back to John here with a seventh overall pick, you are on the clock selecting for the Las Vegas Raiders. Go. I think realistically, the Raiders are going to take whichever quarterback is left when they're on the board. So that would, in this case, be Will Levis, quarterback from Kentucky. 
Like it. You got my guy, John. Well done. Let's keep it moving along. We got Belly Boy picking at eight for the Atlanta Falcons. Who you got for them? So I've been looking at a lot of mocks recently, and there's there's some that hit on this guy and some that don't. Um, I personally think he's going to go higher than where he's mocking. And uh, despite how good Tyler Algier may have had as a season, I think falling to eight, Bijan Robinson. They clearly are going to be okay with Desmond Ritter for now. Might as well get him some weapons around him, bolster the offense, the fantasy 1.01 across all leagues. Give me Bijan Robinson, the beast from Texas. I love it. That was going to be my pick for the Eagles if he would have fallen down there. But alas, you get him. Right back to Kyler. He's on the clock for the Chicago Bears. This is the pick they got from the Panthers for trading back. So who are you taking ninth overall, Kyler? You know, I can't stand the Bears. So this is honestly, uh, it takes a lot of willpower not to just go ahead and give them like some fifth round scrub. Um, But I'm going to be nice here. Uh, I I would probably go ahead and say that they'd take Paris Johnson Jr., uh, left tackle out of Ohio State. I don't know if they'd play him at left tackle. Uh, they had a rookie last year named Braxton Jones who played really well at left tackle. But either way, Paris Johnson has played. Uh, he's played on the right side of the line. He's played guard. He's played tackle. Uh, you pretty much can plug him into any of the four spots you need. I think he has a really high ceiling here. And the Bears have uh, done a lot of work on him. They've brought him in for a couple of visits, met with him at the Combine, Pro Day, all that. I think he's their pick if he's on the board. I like that a lot. Yep, Bears have a lot of needs, and they're not going to be able to fill all of them in the first, but that is definitely a good start to get a potential franchise left tackle. Which finally brings it to me for my very first pick in this mock draft. I am drafting for the Eagles at 10th overall, and they did have quite uh, an exodus of players in free agency. Some they retained, some they lost, so there's a couple of needs there, running back, defensive line, corner. But I'm going to stick with best player available here. And this isn't necessarily my preference on this uh, this position group, but I'm going to go with Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. Obviously, he's an athletic freak. They still have Darius Slay. They have James Bradbury in place. So I think that he can learn from them for a year and then take the reins and really move into that, uh, that CB1 role year two. So I like the player a lot. He's right neck and neck with Devin Witherspoon with, for me. I think he fits a little bit more of that style the Eagles are looking to play, and he has a little bit higher ceiling. I think the Eagles can afford to take a risk when they have a, another first-round pick coming up at 31. Belly, your Titans on the clock at 11. Who are you going with here, buddy? Going to my boys in Nash, Vegas. Um, we lost Taylor Lewan in the uh, in the offseason. He's going elsewhere. Um, that offensive line is the only thing that's going to get Derrick Henry eaten. So we're going to go with Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern, offensive tackle, 6'4", 313, a big old boy. And he's a little bit more of a guard than a tackle, but or he's a solid player regardless. Oh, and it looks like it's coming right back to me with the Houston Texans at number 12. Um, this guy is probably regarded as uh, the number one receiver in the draft, depending on who you talk to. But we're going to go with JSN, Jackson Smith, Najikba. Uh, out of Ohio State wide receiver for the Houston Texans. They got Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, but Brandon Cooks wants out of town. Robert Woods could be on the on the downside of his prime, and who knows what he can do. He wasn't shit on the Titans, I'll tell you that much. But I think that's a good pick to uh, bolster the receiving board. Yep, love that pick. He's my wide receiver one. Kyler, how do you rank these receivers? He's, is he up at one for you as well, or do you have somebody else? 
Uh, no, definitely Smith and Jigba. I think Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, both of those guys are probably, I, I put them in the category of like clear cut uh, first round wide receivers. The issue is they're both, uh, they're both more likely to play out of the slot. I think they have a little bit more versatility than just slot. Um, but that's, that's one of the big issues for teams is that most of these guys are a little bit smaller. Um, Smith and Jigba though is definitely the top of the class. And I would have actually taken him at 13th with my pick here, which is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they got this now after trading up with the Jets uh, and the Aaron Rodgers deal. So with uh, Smith and Jigba off the board, I think the pick here is likely going to be Iowa edge rusher Lucas Van Ness. Now, the Packers have a really interesting strategy. They uh, they sort of redshirt their rookies where they will draft a guy, but they don't play them much their first year. They did this with Rashawn Gary. They did this with Kenny Clark. They did this with Eric Stokes to a high degree. They obviously keep their quarterbacks on the bench for a couple of years after they draft them. Um, but Van Ness is a really big dude. He's 6'5", 275 pounds, uh, played off the off the edge at Iowa. Uh, he's got a little bit of positional versatility between playing inside and outside at the NFL level. The thing is, he just needs to become a little bit more refined as a pass rusher, learn his uh, learn how to use his hands a little bit better. But the explosiveness and strength is through the roof with this guy. I think he's a quintessential Green Bay Packer pick. You don't think they're reaching for Hendon Hooker at 13? <laughs> Uh, I think they have one more year before they have to draft uh, Jordan Love's replacement, but you know I'm not 100% sure what their what their new shelf life is for QBs. I would also love it if they took a wide receiver as soon as they trade Aaron Rodgers. Boom, they finally get a first one round wide yes, receiver. Exactly. <laughs> All right, back to me. I'm selecting 14th for the New England Patriots, and they have quite a few needs as well. And, you know, cornerback, I could, you know, Devin Witherspoon is still there. Offensive tackle, wide receiver. I do like a lot of these tackles. And I think you mentioned earlier, Kyler, there's going to be a little bit of a run here. I'm going to be taking Broderick Jones out of Georgia. Um, My guy. He's a, yep, he's a solid guy. You know, what do you think about him, though? Do you think he has the ability to play left tackle, or is he more just a right tackle for you? Uh, I think he's absolutely a left tackle. I think the biggest things in determining that are foot speed, arm length, and how well they use their hands. I think Jones has fantastic foot speed. Uh, hands are really good. Arm length, I think, suffices. I don't think it's, I don't remember if it's great, but uh, yeah, he he pretty much checks all three boxes to be able to stay at tackle at the NFL level and do so at a high rate. Yep, my thoughts as well, and I knew that you. Uh really love Broderick Jones. So I thought I would let you take over on that one, but obviously coming from Georgia, he's been a part of a great program and Bill Belichick has a chance to get a franchise left tackle, protect Mac Jones. There's also speculation that the Patriots could be in the market to trade up to get a quarterback here, but we'll see no trades allowed here. So it brings me back to 15. The Jets have moved back two slots, and conveniently, we have quite a few of those tackle prospects taken. So I think I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. And I'm going to take a guy out of Clemson, an edge rusher, a former five-star recruit, Miles Murphy. Now, at the beginning of this you know, pre-draft evaluation here, he was kind of neck and neck with Tyree Wilson, and they're both kind of power edge rusher kind of guys. 
Um, he has fallen to, you know, like the mid first round, like late first round kind of category. But I think that he has a little bit of a slower first step, but he has the potential to be a very, very solid edge rusher. So get Miles Murphy at 15. I mean, the Jets are going to look to bolster that defense. They've got Aaron Rodgers there. They've got receivers intact. Sure, they could use a tackle, and there's a couple of guys there at that spot that I would like. But I think that Miles Murphy has the pedigree and the potential to become a dominant edge rusher in the league. So I'm going to take him right there. Moving me to 16, picking for the Washington Commanders. And I can't let this guy far, fall any further. I really would like him to get back down to the Lions, but I'm going to take Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois, cornerback. Obviously, you've probably seen the highlight tapes from him right now. He's just a gritty Dan Campbell-esque kind of guy. Um, really sticky in man coverage, probably the best man coverage uh, prospect coming out there. He's right neck and neck with Christian Gonzalez for me, so I do not think that he's going to make it this far. Um, it really just depends on how teams evaluate him, and if you're looking for a press man coverage corner kind of guy, then he is the perfect fit. So give me Devin Witherspoon to the Commanders, and that gives Kyler two back-to-back -back picks right here with the Steelers and Lions. So what direction are you taking for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kyler? So we mentioned it earlier. I think Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright is going to be a, a right tackle at the NFL. He played left tackle in college for a bit, but was not good as a left tackle and really only became a first round prospect when he uh, you know, shifted over to right tackle. I think that works out great for the Steelers anyways. Uh, they have two tackles who are not great in Dan Moore and Chikuma Okorafor. Um, so I think between those two, you can probably get one of them to give you serviceable enough play at left tackle. And then for the Steelers, I'm going to go ahead and pick Darnell Wright uh, and plug him in at right tackle. Uh, for the Detroit Lions at 18, I think the pick here, especially since we went with the defensive line earlier, uh, I think the pick here is likely going to be one of two guys. I think it's going to be Osiris Torrance, guard out of Florida, or the guy that I'm actually going to pick for the Lions here, which is Deontay Banks, cornerback out of Maryland. Uh, now, we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with the Jeff Okuda part. Uh, the Lions do not have a ton of long-term stability at the cornerback position. Uh, Banks is a perfect fit. He's about six foot, six foot one, uh, 200 pounds. He's very fast. He actually put up the second highest all-time a relative athletic score at the combine uh, of all cornerbacks in combine history. Uh, freak athlete. He's fantastic in man press coverage, uh, plays with an attitude, maybe not as much as Devin Witherspoon does, but plenty that that the Lions are clearly going to to love this guy. So I, I think he's the pick here. So him over uh, Joey Porter Jr., huh? Yes, I think Porter Jr. also can do a really nice job in press coverage, uh, but there's also some of the long-term upside as well. I think Porter Jr. doesn't have the the fluidity in his hips that uh, Banks does. So I think when you're looking at that, Porter Jr. is more of like a big receiver specialist. I think Banks is a guy who can actually go out and just, it doesn't matter who your wide receiver one is. Banks has the speed, the fluid hips, the physicality, the length to match up with everyone. Whereas I think Porter just has the physicality and the length. The speed is good for his size, but I think he's lacking a little bit in his ability to turn and run with some of the uh, faster wide receivers he'll have to face. Deontay Banks is a guy who's definitely risen up my draft board. He's very similar to Devin Witherspoon. I just think that he needs a little bit more polish to his game, but 
he definitely is a good a good pick for the Lions at 18. I'd be happy with Jalen Carter and Deontay Banks rounding out the first round for us. And hey, maybe we trade up for a third one at the back end. Who knows? Let's move it back to Belly. He's drafting for the Buccaneers at 19. Who's the pick? I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of the guys that I had listed were like four or five. Uh, they've all been taken. Um, but the way I see it, uh, Leonard Fournette couldn't get anything done on the ground. Neither could Rashad White. And I think that was... Uh, primarily due to the offensive line. Um, the mock I'm currently looking at has this guy going way later, but I'm backed into a corner. So I'm going to go with Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma, offensive tackle to try to bolster that offensive line front. Yeah, so Harrison is a really good pass protector. I think the biggest thing with him is going to be whether he can uh, you know, bulk up, get a little bit stronger, and be able to contribute in the run game a little bit more. Uh, but at Oklahoma, had some really good numbers in protection, really smooth with his pass set, with his hands. Uh, I think he's a guy you can plug and play at left tackle for a team like the Bucks. Uh, I don't think he has like the the high ceiling that uh, Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones have, but he's a really good player, and I think that's a it's a pretty good pick overall. Yeah, it's salivating to pair him with Tristan Wirfs too. That's two bookends on your offensive line long term. So nice pick, Belly. Let's move it over to John taking a pick for the Seahawks, their second pick, their own pick at 20. Who are they taking? It looks like they had who? DJ Stroud was your first pick for him. You giving him a weapon or are you looking defense? I think I feel pretty good about his offensive weapons. So I'm going to go back to defense for them. I'm between two guys, but I've, I've heard, even though he's a little undersized, everyone keeps saying don't compare him to Aaron Donald, yada yada, but I'm gonna take Kalaja Kansi defensive line from Pittsburgh for the Seahawks here. I like the prospect. I mean it's gonna be situational in his first year, but they did just uh sign Draymond Jones to a big deal. If they don't pull the trigger on Jalen Carter, he's gonna be a good pass rushing pass rushing specialist. So I like the pick pick would go to the Dolphins, but they forfeited that pick um, just due to tampering, so no first-round pick for this year. What an idiot! I know, for real. Naughty, naughty. Which moves it back to John, picking number 22 for the Chargers out in the AFC West. Who is going to the Chargers, Johnny boy? Uh, For the Chargers, I think they go ahead and grab themselves an offensive weapon. To go and uh, make Justin Herbert feel nice and and pretty and good and loved. So I'm going to take Zay Flowers, wide receiver, Boston College. Yeah, and with Keenan Allen getting old too, I think that they're going to be looking for somebody to take over in the slot. I like Zay Flowers. I also like Jordan Addison to the Chargers quite a bit. Tyler, back to you. Picking for the Ravens at 23. Who do you got? So Baltimore has to resolve their situation with Lamar Jackson, obviously. Uh, but I think a good way to help get him back and get something, uh, you know, going there is to add a pick that will really help him. And so I think a lot of people uh, mock like a wide receiver to the Ravens. I actually am not going to do that. I think they have a pretty clear need for a guard here. Um, they're set to have Ben Cleveland play. He was pretty bad last year. And then their other guard, Kevin Zeitler, he's been really good, really steady for them, but he's 33 years old. So I think this is a position you have to look at. And I think a perfect fit for them would be Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida. He transferred from Louisiana to Florida 
following his head coach, Billy Napier. And he was phenomenal in the SEC. He did not give up a single sack and he's massive. He's like six foot five, 330 pounds, can just maul people in the run game, really physical. So I think, I think he fits Todd Monken's offense really well. And again, that pass protection ability is really going to, you know, be something that appeals to Lamar Jackson, getting him some protection up front. For a team like the Ravens that loves to run that ball, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better guard to come in and do just that. And, you know, I think he's definitely a better, you know, run blocker than he is a pass blocker. And having a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson, I think they'll both complement each other very well. So I like the pick. Uh, For the Vikings here at 24, actually a little surprised this guy slipped down the board this far, especially with there being some buzz that he could be a top 10 pick uh, by the end of this week. Uh, That is uh, Georgia edge rusher Nolan Smith. Uh, Smith is, he's a little small. He's about 6'2", 240 pounds. But when you watch the guy play, he's as physical as it gets. Usually guys that size are really good pass rushers and struggle against the run, but he's actually the opposite. He is fantastic playing with leverage and power at the point of attack. Uh, But really the thing is the Georgia defense doesn't really free up their edge rushers to, you know, attack the quarterback. We saw a lot of that last year with the Trevon Walker, uh, you know, debates. Uh, I think for the Vikings, they are really trying to rebuild that defense. I would love to add Nolan Smith to it. He can play sort of a Sam outside linebacker position play a little bit of weak side defensive end. Uh, I think he's a big time ad for the Vikings. That's a good best player available approach right there. He definitely was slipping a little bit, and some people are talking about borderline top 10. So I like the pick. Back to you, Belly, selecting number 25 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who you got? I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't, uh, once we got past, like, pick 15 or so, I was kind of kind of a little lost on the board, had to do a little mocking to figure out what they needed. Um, it sounds like their secondary is something that's the most in trouble. Um, I'm going to go with Brian Branch, safety out of Alabama, um, just to bolster their secondary and try to improve that defense a little bit. It's a perfect pick, honestly. That's exactly who I would have taken there. Brian Branch is a great prospect, kind of that slot hybrid safety kind of role, like a C.J. Gardner-Johnson almost. Good pick, Billy. Now for me, three back-to-backs again. Jeez, you guys are making it tough. I'm starting out with the Giants. I think this one is pretty easy because their offense needs some work, and there has been some wide receivers that have slipped. A lot of NFL executives have said that there's only two wide receivers who they have first-round grades on, but I really like the pedigree of this player, how he's performed in college. And that's Jordan Addison. I think that he will fill a good role for them. There's, you know, Quentin Johnson, two out of TCU, but Jordan Addison played at USC. He played Pittsburgh. He's a good slot wide receiver. He's, you know, he's pretty fast, and I think that he does everything pretty well overall. Not super elite at just one thing. He does have some drop issues from last year, but he's a playmaker, and I think the Giants need to add something to take a little bit of, a little bit off of Saquon Barkley and Danny Dimes for you, Belly. So I'll give. Old Daniel Dollar signs uh, another weapon in New York. I just gotta, now I just gotta interject over. because remember last season we all said that this man wouldn't have a job, and look at him getting paid. He's like the number eight paid quarterback in the league. Danny Dimes, let's go. You also said Jalen Hurts wouldn't have a job, and he's the highest paid player of all time. But you know, one hit away from him just being evaporated. Uh, So now I am on the clock for the Dallas Cowboys at 27, and 
much like you said there, Kyler, with the uh, the Bears and the Packers, you really want to just give them some fifth-round junk. But I actually reached out to the one Cowboys fan that I know, and he told me that he would be stoked if they got a tight end, which is the exact opposite for me. I'm going to give him a guy that is kind of like Dalton Schultz, in my opinion, and that's Michael Meyer out of Notre Dame. Uh, I do like Dalton Dalton Kincaid as a pass catcher much better, but Michael Meyer is solid. Um, I think he does everything pretty well. He's a solid blocker. He runs good routes. You know, he does have some contested catches, and he was really the focal point of Notre Dame's offense. So I think the Cowboys can add another weapon. They like to do that. They've already got a good defense. There are some other areas of need. Um, but I think that Michael Meyer is a first-round tight end, um, and I think he's a little bit of a better fit than Dalton Kincaid would be. So now I'm up again for the Buffalo Bills. And there's a couple of different ways that I can go here. But I think that this player has slipped a bit too far, and it might not be their biggest position of need. But I'm going to go with Joey Porter Jr. at a Penn State cornerback. Like Kyler was mentioning earlier, he is a very sticky man coverage kind of guy, very long and kind of a pass breakup specialist. The Bills do have some good pieces in place on on their defensive back group. Uh, With Tredavious White, he's been banged up by some injuries, so I think that he can provide them some relief if he does get hurt again. And also their safeties. I'm not sure if they did re-sign Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, um, but I don't believe they're there long-term. Kyler, do you know for sure? Um, they, one of them was a, was it one of them or I think both of them were free agents. Both are back. Uh, either way, they're both in their like thirties, so they're not going to be there terribly long. And I'm looking at the bill's death chart because I really wasn't expecting to pick him there, but yeah, they have Tredavious white and then Dane Jackson, who I have never heard of. They also took a uh, care Elam from Florida last year in their draft. So he, he's younger. Um, but I think you can't have too much depth in the cornerback room. And Joey Porter Jr. is easily a first-rounder. I would hate to see him slip any farther, so I'm going to pull the trigger on him there. All right, so picking for the Bengals here. Uh, tight end's a really trendy pick here. However, this is a really deep tight end class. And if I'm Cincinnati, I feel really comfortable in my ability to grab a uh, a tight end on or in like the second or maybe even third round here. I'm actually going to go ahead and go with Kansas State cornerback Julius Brents. He is a bigger cornerback. He's about six foot three, crazy long arms, uh, similar to Joey Porter in that regards where, you know, he wins with his length. Uh, He's just a freak athlete is the crazy thing. And uh, Rick Spielman was even saying on his podcast the other day, uh, every single player who has had the measurables that Brents has in terms of height, length and athleticism Every single cornerback that meets that threshold has ended up leading the league in pass breakups at least once or twice over their career. Um, so I think for the Bengals, cornerback's a position they don't necessarily need, but I think Brands is too good of a player to pass up here. That's a pretty interesting take because I don't think I've seen anybody take him in the first round. I, I heard about him after the Senior Bowl because he was kind of one of the MVPs mm-hmm. there, but I always had him as like a second, third round kind of guy. So that's interesting to see you put him right at the the back end of the first round here. Yep. And I, I, I've seen a lot of things now where it's some people they're mentioning it. It hasn't really shown up in like one of the, one of the big like media mock drafts yet, but there's a lot of people starting to talk about, about uh, Brent's coming in and being a late first round pick. Nice. 
All right. Well, Belly, you're picking at 30 for the Saints. This pick is from San Francisco through Miami and Denver, so I don't even know whose pick this is. I think San Francisco was the original holder, but who do you got going to New Orleans? So I thought I could get cute with this one, and maybe uh, I saw on a mock or something that they were going to take Hendon Hooker as just a backup for Derek Carr, but I don't agree with that considering Derek Carr's got a four-year contract. I don't think it's immediate need right now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Quinton Johnson as a little Michael Thomas insurance because outside of Chris Olave, their next best receiver is Rashid Shahid, and, I mean, he, he's not proven. He, he, he had a decent year last year, put up some numbers in a few games, but I feel like it'll be good to have someone for uh, Derek Carr to throw to, and... Quentin Johnson fits all the measurables. They said there's some issues with his character, maybe, I believe, and we're not really sure about that, but get that big body out there and see if Derek Carr can throw him some dimes. So, Kyler, I want you to talk about your thoughts on Quentin Johnson here because I read the article you posted about him on the Substack, and I have some uh, arguments to make. I actually like Quentin Johnson a little bit more than a lot of folks do. He got dinged a ton because... Well, he measured in a little bit smaller than people expected. He measured in at 6'2 and a half rather than about 6'4 and then ran a little bit slower. And then there's the drop issue as well. But the thing is, you look at it on film and Johnson has some really high, uh, like best moments. Uh, he is a incredible deep threat at times, but then he's just inconsistent is the thing. So I think if you can find a situation where he does not have to come in and take on a heavy role right away. I think some of his consistency is in how he runs his routes. I think that's something that's really easy to develop. The hands are going to be really the big thing, but I think when you watch it, uh, there's a lot of them where he just, he doesn't realize he needs to go up and get the ball. So I think uh, the catch rate is going to be something that can improve. It's not a guarantee to, uh, but if you're able to actually develop him, I think this is one of those situations where you can find a guy who's going to become a lot better in year two and actually reach his ceiling by going later in the draft to a team that can afford a little bit more patience. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I was hoping to argue with you a little bit on this one, but I think you're spot on because I do agree. His ceiling is super high, possibly the highest out of all of these prospects. And the drops were the biggest concern for me. He had the 14th most drops in college football last year. He has a pretty limited route tree. So my question is, is he just kind of this athletic freak coming out uh, with a sick highlight tape like a Denzel Mims kind of guy? Or is he somebody who actually could pan out to be a valuable contributor to an NFL team, but he definitely has the deep ball game. He's got good speed. I love his uh, yards after catch ability. Um, he's a solid prospect, but I think that everyone's just thinking like he could be the first wide receiver taken off the board. And I just don't see it. I think back into the first round, beginning of the second is a perfect landing spot for him. So I wish we could get into it a little bit, but you didn't say anything I disagreed with. So I'll leave it at that. Sorry. S sorry about that. That's uh, Okay. Well, maybe we can find something else to debate in these last few picks here. But it's back to me picking 31 for the Philadelphia Eagles. And like I said, there's a lot of different ways that they can go here. They already got Christian Gonzalez at 10. I've been hearing a lot of chatter in NFL circles at a second running back could be on the fringe for the first round. And I necessarily don't agree with this, but I'm going to take Jameer Gibbs running back out of Alabama going to the Eagles there just because I do think that they have a big need at running back. I was looking for Bijan at 10, but 
They just signed Rashad Penny. Miles Sanders left to go to the Panthers in free agency, and Rashad Penny obviously doesn't have the best track record with his injuries. So I think Jameer Gibbs gives them a different element, and he could do something different on that offense. The Eagles don't want to lose a step after just sh- after just re-signing Jalen Hurts to that monster deal, so they got to keep that offense intact. There's definitely a couple of running backs I have rated higher but Jameer Gibbs in his own right is a great player, a great prospect, and he brings something to the table that a lot of guys just don't in this running back class. So give Jameer Gibbs to the Eagles, and that'll close out their first round. And, John, we're back to you for the final pick of this mock draft. Got the Chiefs picking 32 overall. Who are they taking? Josh Gordon, XFL standout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was... In my, uh, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm a, I'm the chief GM right now, so I really want Quentin Johnson to fall for me. I need that out, outside receiver. Uh, that didn't happen, so I'm going to go with one of their other positions of need, defensive line, um, uh, a player who, by all accounts, is really solid. He's been hosted on a lot of top 30 visits. Uh, Will McDonald the fourth edge rusher out of Iowa State. Spicy. I like it. Uh, he's been rising up draft boards. He was kind of like that fringe, like second round kind of guy, but I've seen him quite frequently in the uh, in the first round back end right here. Well, I mean, Mel Kuyper at one point put him at like eighth overall in like February and then just got like shamed into walking that one back and not even having him in the first like 20 picks the next time he did it. Um, I like McDonald. I don't think he's going to end up being a a pick for the Chiefs. The Chiefs, uh, their trends are for bigger defensive ends. The issue with McDonald is he's 6'4", 240 pounds. Uh, He's really quick, has a great first step, good with his hands, but just not a great run defender. And the other thing is he's one of those guys who gets labeled with the generic character concern trait. Um, That's always kind of hard to define what it specifically ends up being. So that'll be one of those ones where it really just depends on how comfortable teams feel with it. Because if they're comfortable with it, I think he's a fantastic uh, pass rusher, especially for a team that's going to be running a 3-4 and needs some speed off the end. Uh, but again, that's just that's something teams will have to feel comfortable with before they pull the trigger there. I like him as an early second rounder more than a late first, but I do think the value is still there for the Chiefs, grabbing defensive end for sure. Okay. All right, so that's going to do it for the mock draft, boys. Good job. But our fate is in Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell's hands. We will find out on Thursday who we're taking in the first two picks, maybe three. Who knows? We'll see. But let's hop into some sleepers here for day two and three because we really just covered the uh, the first round. So we'll kick it off with me here. For my day two sleeper, and you know, that would be second or third round, I like Jaden Reed, wide receiver out of Michigan State. Obviously, I'm a Spartan dog, so I got to go with my boy. I'm very familiar with his play just from watching Michigan State games, but he killed it at the Senior Bowl. I just really think that he is a good complement to Amon Ross, St. Brown, and J-Mo because J-Mo's got that deep speed. He's kind of the deep ball guy, Amon Ross, St. Brown out of the slot. And I think that Jaden Williams is more, or sorry, Jaden Reed is more like that deep intermediate kind of guy, um, a little bit of a tweener between those two. And he also is a kick and punt returner. 
So if, you know, we need a, a backup plan for Khalif Raymond, if, you know, he's the guy who gets the axe once J-Mo comes back from the suspension, he can fill in pretty nicely there. So I think that he'll be like a back end of the second or early third round kind of guy. And Lions, I think, have met, well, I think they met with him just because it was a local visit. Oh, he does have ties to the team, and I could see that being a solid pick for them day two. So my day two sleeper, I'm going to go with Hendon Hooker. I think there's a chance that teams trade up into the first round to end up grabbing him. However, um, based on our mock, uh, the Texans not grabbing a quarterback as it was. Uh, The Steelers are the only people that pick before them in the second round. So Hendon Hooker at 33, I think, is a viable option. He was a stud at Tennessee until he went down with the injury, and uh, I don't think that might be a bad pick at 33. I like it. I like it. John, you're up next. Day two sleeper. Go. Uh, my day two sleeper is actually someone you took at the end of round one, Corbin. It's uh, Jameer Gibbs, running back out of Alabama. 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 <laughs> uh, now he's he's. I wouldn't really call him a sleeper. More just someone I would I would love to see the Lions get if he were to happen to fall. I really don't think they're going to be able to get him at 48. I think if anything, they would maybe have to to package uh, those two picks they have in that round to move up to get him if they wanted him. Um, I like him as a receiver, and with the not knowing about kind of where Swift is at after next year, or even next year, to be to be frank, you don't know how he's going to perform. Uh, I think he would be someone to be a great fit. I will say before you go, Kyler, that these sleepers are for really just prospects that we like. It doesn't necessarily have to be for the Lions. For mine it was, for Ben it wasn't, for John it was. Um, and I know that... But for like my day sleeper, my day three sleeper, that's not necessarily for the Lions. So I just wanted to get that out of the way with. But Kyler, over to you for your day two sleeper. Yeah, second round. uh, I really love Matthew Bergeron. He's uh, the left tackle out of Syracuse. He is going to be a very versatile prospect. So he had a really good showing at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Syracuse isn't exactly known as a football powerhouse. So getting, uh, getting the experience against some other guys there. Uh, you know, it was really helpful and really just helped show that he is that kind of caliber of player. Uh, he is a big, powerful offensive tackle. I think he's likely going to end up kicking inside to guard at the next level. Um, and that'll be a really good spot for him just because, I mean, he plays with, you know, an aggressive demeanor. He can drive people off the ball. And then the athleticism and balance is really good. And I think it will it, it fits even better at guard. I think for the Lions, uh, we've talked about them adding a guard on day two. I think he fits them to a T. Uh, he also, you know, gets a lot of buzz for, you know, just being a really gritty dude, uh, high work ethic, always hitting the weight room. Um, he, he won a leadership award at at, uh, at Syracuse as well. So I think Matthew Bergeron is going to be someone who he'll end up being a really good player wherever he ends up in the second round. And I really hope it's the Detroit Lions who take him. I'd like that a lot. There's a couple of guys who have that versatility on the offensive line, and I see the Lions going in that direction. Round two is probably where I'd like I like Steve Avila, obviously, two out of TCU, but Matthew Bergeron's definitely a guy who's on my radar, and I think that'd be a good fit. Does he have any relation to Tom Bergeron from America's Funniest Videos? I don't think so. His son, you didn't know? <laughs> that, that'd, be, that'd be something for sure. I was going to say, how about Harrison Bergeron? Uh, novel written by Kurt Vonnegut. Patrice Bergeron. There's a lot of Bergerons. Let's move it on to our day three sleepers here. For me, 
it is kind of Lions oriented, but I just really like this prospect. It's Zach Kuntz, spelled K-U-N-T-Z. So say that however you'd like. He's a tight end out of Old Dominion. So a little bit of a smaller school here, but he is just an athletic freak with a very high ceiling. He's a pretty decent blocker, but the dude's 6'7 and ran a 4'5", 540 with a 40-inch vertical. So he is very raw. He's only got 15 college starts, but I don't really see him as a guy, as like a Dan Campbell kind of guy with the room that we already have. I think that Tucker Craft or maybe like a Sam Laporta might be a better fit. Um... I like Tucker Craft a lot. He's very similar to Sam Laporta, but he's a little bit stronger, a little slower, but he's a better blocker. So I think the Lions will be looking for a tight end, probably like rounds four, five, six. And Zach Kuntz is a guy who's probably going to be there, you know, right in that range. So Zach Kuntz. Another tight end that I like that I had my last day sleeper, which my bad for misreading the Lions thing, but Luke Musgrave. I wouldn't mind if the Lions got me some Luke Musgrave. I like him too, but he does have some injury concern there too. There's some other guys I like, but he's right up there. Uh, moving on to my day three sleeper, um, given all this wide receiver hubbub, I'm going to go ahead and go with Rasheed Rice out of SMU. Um, he's a big boy. Uh, he had power five offers, but he chose to go to SMU. And sometimes these SMU guys don't shake out, but willing to take a flyer on him. All right, John, back to you. Who's your day three sleeper? Uh, day three sleeper for me. Uh, this was really if the Lions decide not to to go defensive back in the first few, couple of rounds. Uh, Garrett Williams is a cornerback out of Syracuse. He was at one point a top ten ranked cornerback in this draft class, but he's coming off a ACL tear in October, so him not being immediately available may be affecting his draft stock. His uh, comp, his NFL comp on NFL.com is actually Emmanuel Mosley. So um, I think that he's someone considering the fact that we've got some solid guys that are on shorter deals. If we wanted to take a flyer on someone who maybe after this year could be a really solid player, I think he'd be a good one. And I saw a video of him running the ladders earlier today, so recovery's going well on the ACL. John, I, I think you nailed it. Garrett Williams is a fantastic choice for the Lions. I also went with a cornerback uh, for day three. I went with Daryl Luter Jr. Uh, he's a cornerback from South Alabama. Uh, so again, the Lions are really a man press coverage team. So you want big, long, athletic cornerbacks who can play physically at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Luter Jr. does a fantastic job there. Uh, I mean, he's only really going up against Sunbelt competition. Uh, but, you know, he just he is very physical in how he plays. Had a really good showing as well at um, I can't remember if it was the Shrine Bowl or the Senior Bowl, um, but really showed out there. Uh, willing tackler, very mature guy as well. Uh, his size, speed and testing benchmarks look really similar to Emmanuel Mosley as well. Uh, kind of that 5'11 range, but uh, plays with really has really long arms, too. So that really helps him be disruptive. I think if the Lions are either looking for additional cornerbacks or pass on a cornerback early, I think Daryl Luter Jr. would be a guy that I would be interested in on day three. And yeah, like I said, John, I think Garrett Williams is another guy who fits that mold as well. All right, guys, that's going to round it out for our sleepers. So let's move on to some listener questions here. John, I think you got a couple compiled for us. What's the first one here? 
So first question is coming from our good friend James DeWitt. He wants to, to know, and I don't really think this is likely because we hold two first-round picks, but if the Lions were just totally trade out of the first round in this draft, would we be happy or sad? And we can kind of we can kind of quick fire these because we've got a, a, a fair amount of questions. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to see them drafting in the first round. We have two first round picks, so you know, kicking that can down the road doesn't really make sense to me when we're in a position to finally make a run. So I would be disappointed when you watch the entire time. It's like how the Vikings did it when they traded out of the first round. Basically, when we moved up to take Jamison Williams, I was with James. When they were drafting, I think it was with Steve, maybe his brother, uh, and he was not happy. So it would definitely be a little letdown if they traded out entirely. Uh, so next question comes from Noah. He wants to know if Hendon Hooker drops into the second round, should the Lions take him if he happens to be there? I would probably say no. I am not actually a fan of Hendon Hooker in this draft class. I think part of the issues with him is he is historically old at the QB position. Um, and the issue isn't that he's 25 years old. The issue is that it really took him until he was 24, 25 years old to have any production in college. And all of that came in a very gimmicky, simplified offense that does not translate to the NFL well at all. Add in that he's going to be recovering from an injury and you're not really even getting this guy in a full off season, uh, able to actually like learn the offense at a decent pace until he's 26, 27 years old at that point. That's just really hard to actually find value. And I don't think he has that much higher of a ceiling than what we see with Jared Goff right now. To segue to segue out of that, then what do you think about Jalen Hyatt? Jalen Hyatt, I think he's actually a pretty good fit for the Lions uh, as a vertical threat. Uh, but that's the issue is Jalen Hyatt really is a one-trick pony. So he he's just very fast in a straight line. Uh, the route running is not very nuanced. Um, I think that's something where, similar to like Quentin Johnston, it's something you can develop in him a little bit more. Um, but as far as like a second or third round option for Hyatt, I like that one a little bit more than maybe Hooker. But I, I probably wouldn't pick either of those two guys uh, for the Lions in the second round, personally. Would you feel like them taking a flyer later on the draft on a quarterback is something that they'd be likely to do? I think so. I think there's a really good crop of backup caliber QBs here. So you're talking Aiden O'Connell, Clayton Toon, um, Dorian Thompson Robinson's got a little bit of athleticism and upside. Um, I think looking at those guys, I think that's going to fit a little bit better for what Detroit uh, probably should be looking for here in terms of value. Um, I, I really don't think it, it's worthwhile to spend a pick on a guy whose ceiling isn't that much higher than Goff. Uh, but as far as like getting a good backup quarterback, like that's like we talked about earlier, Nate Sudfeld is not going to cut it if the Lions need him. So I think getting a guy like Clayton Toon or Aiden O'Connell, like in the fifth or sixth round would still be a pretty good investment. Yeah, I agree. Big topic of conversation, whether it's in the first round or later on. And I would err on the side of the Lions taking somebody in the later rounds, like a Clayton Toon, for example, like I like him. Um, somebody that can sit back and develop and isn't really going to threaten Jared Goff um, because, you know, like he's kind of on record, like he doesn't want his you know, his starting job to be in jeopardy and bringing in somebody like a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson 
could affect his play, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. But Hendon Hooker, I do like him as a prospect. Obviously, he's an older guy, and the system that he was asked to play in, you know, it's conducive for, like, it's more of like a one-read-and-kind-of-throw kind of guy, and he's not asked to make several reads and look off defenses. But he does have the luxury of sitting behind Jared Goff for at least a year or two to learn. And I think that Mark Brunel, I'm, you can't really give him all of the credit for Jared Goff's success, but I think you can with Ben Johnson say like he is going to be able to create a game plan to put him in a position to succeed. We might not have him next year, but at the same time, I do like him as a prospect. And if it wasn't for this ACL injury, I think there would be no question he'd be a first round pick. So getting him in the second, I think I would make a move for him there. All right, great. Uh, next question is from let's next question is from jake he wants to know would we take a line i think i know the answer to this for everybody would we take a Lions super bowl if the p- team was pure dog trash for the rest of your life i'll just answer right away and say the team's been dog trash most of my life already so <laughs> i'll definitely take a super bowl yeah, Jake, I'd take a Super Bowl. Is that what you want to hear? I'll be miserable my whole life. I've been that way. I know what it's like. I just want one year of pure joy, and then fuck it. Like, I'm out. I can hold that over everyone's head for the rest of my life. It's like the New York Yankees. Look at them. They don't shut up about their 27 rings. I could do that with just one, and I'm perfectly content with that. Corbin, you sound rattled. I know what he's trying to do here. Nice, Jake. <laughs> He tried to get, he tried to get me to do that in the how bad do you want it and I was like no I I can't take the easy L there. <laughs> Here's the thing, Dan Campbell and uh Brad Holmes are going to be bringing at least 3 Super Bowls to Detroit. So why are we trading just one here, fellas? Right. At least. That's true. That's true. Do you have Give a me a timeline and a bet and I'll take it. Not not this year. We'll go ahead and say first one comes in next year. Yeah. I'll take that bet. I think a better question would be would you take a Super Bowl win if it meant the Lions moved out of Detroit? And after, after the win. Ooh, that's a good one. Will they win, but they'll move out of Detroit after. Would you take that? Yeah, then you're, then yeah. you're going to be a Des Moines, Iowa Lion fan. <laughs> that's fine with me, man. I would do the, a the lot Quad more. City Barnstormers. <laughs> I would do so much more just for one Super Bowl. So, and just like that, he told Emma they're moving to Iowa. <laughs> All right, babe, time to pack up the van. We're moving. All right, we got any more? Do we want to do this logo one? Because the people won't be able to see it. I mean, we could post it. Yeah, I mean, I'll post it on the Instagram. I can share my screen real quick. So basically, this one artist came out and just started redesigning logos. And I don't I don't know. First when I saw it, I didn't think it had much merit. But it's this Lions logo where the main actually spells out Lions. And I think it kind of hits hard. What do you boys think? I didn't notice that it spelled lions until you just said that. Yeah, it was like a TikTok video. So it showed the whole process of making it. And at first I was like, okay, that's a stupid font. And then she turns it and it becomes the main. I'm like, damn, that's actually sick. And if I didn't see the video and the lions just posted that as their logo, I definitely would have no idea that it actually says that. But it is a very cool logo. You'll see a bunch of like people mocking up like, you know, dumb uniforms and logo changes and stuff like that but this one is actually pretty cool still i think that i would stick with the classic lion logo that we have i don't want that to change i kind of err on the side of more of like a 
know, a retro look as opposed to something more futuristic with my logos and my uniform. So I'm sticking with the, the tried and true. This one would be really good if the Lions were switching from football to soccer and joining the, the British Premier League. Right. Yeah, it looks more like one of those logos. Wait a minute. Did you submit this, Kyler? Because I feel like I said that to somebody. <laughs> uh, that is, I don't think that is my original idea or anything like that. Like even the, the Premier League line. But um, yeah, it, just, it looks like kind of the crests that soccer teams have, um, which it's sharp, but I don't know. No, Ver- oh no, that's not what I said. I said it looks like a Game of Thrones flag crest. That's what I said. I wasn't. I wasn't Ooh, totally yes. on with you, Tyler. Mm, okay, that's not there you bad. Go. That's pretty accurate. Correct. House House Campbell. I think retros back in, and uh, you. I mean, even you see it. All, all many big brands are going back to their classic logos. Um, so I don't think it's it's too likely to to see any futuristic updating happening but i you know always fun to consider hey guys and we're running a little bit longer than expected on this one it's the draft extravaganza so sorry not sorry here but we want to give the people all the content we can so kyler does have to head out but i just wanted to give him a couple quick hitter questions here that i had made specially for him so do you see any first round linebackers this year um Linebacker is a tough one. It's a position that gets devalued. I think there's a decent shot you get one first-round linebacker in there. Um, I think the two guys that really have a chance at that are Arkansas's Drew Sanders. He is a big, athletic, uh, probably a Sam linebacker, so can uh, can rush off the edge and play off-ball. Um, he had just transitioned over to playing uh, linebacker from from he had transferred from Alabama, where he was an edge rusher to Arkansas where he played linebacker and was an all American uh, freak athlete, really strong uh, background with all the intangibles and everything like that. I think he's going to have a good shot to go in the first. The other guy would be Jack Campbell out of Iowa. Another really big, really athletic guy who he's just, he is about as sharp as they come with his processing and his reads in the box. Like the, you're almost never fooling the guy. He knows exactly where he's supposed to go. Um, it's kind of a hard projection, though. I think the Bills at the end of the draft could could be a team that looks at taking one. Outside of that, I don't know if there's a team that really needs a linebacker terribly bad. Uh, my bet would be no on a first-round linebacker, but personally, I love Drew Sanders. I would take him at, at – heck, I'd take him as high as 18th to the Lions if I were in charge. Um, that's definitely not how Brad Holmes runs things, but uh, that would be my bet if there was going to be a first-round linebacker. Drew Sanders. Yeah, that is a spicy take, but he does have that high ceiling, you know, just playing uh, off-ball linebacker for one year. So if he develops, he could be a solid piece. Absolutely. And then and then Kyler, I didn't want uh, our, our one guy who's always posting on Instagram, at least comment with uh, Zach DeSimpelaire, I think his name is. I apologize if I got that wrong. But he was very curious about what you thought about Dwayne McBride. Yeah, Dwayne McBride, uh, so he's out of UAB, Alabama, Birmingham. He's about 5'10", 210 pounds. He is a really good fit for the Lions offense as a runner. Um, Really good contact balance, which is one of those things that, that's like one of those terms that really helps uh, identify what players are going to be a fit for the Lions. The Lions run a gap scheme offense, so that's largely between the tackles. And it means you do need to be able to take like a, a slight hit and stay upright and running forward. Um, so McBride, I think, is really good with his contact balance. 
Uh, he has really good vision as well. Uh, I think he ran something. Uh, actually, no, he didn't actually. He had a hamstring injury and did not run a 40. So not exactly sure how fast he is. On film, he had a couple of big runs. Very productive at UAB. I think he's a very good back. The issue is projecting him to the Lions. I think he's going to shift more towards day three. But the other trends that you see out of day three running backs for Detroit are their ability to catch uh, passes out of the backfield and then their special teams value. And that's actually kind of what hurts McBride is he doesn't really have a lot of experience as a pass catcher and doesn't really have to do much on special teams as like he was UAB star player. So they didn't throw him in on punt because they didn't want the guy being injured. That'll that'll sort of hurt some of his valuation there. Um, But I think overall really good fit for the Lions as a running back. And then it just depends how much they feel they can build up his special teams uh, acumen and pass catching. So I, uh, you definitely watched more film than I did. Is it the fact that he can't catch or that's just not how he was utilized at UAB? Uh, more so just not how he's utilized. Well, I also have done some scouting on Dwayne McBride as well. And I just don't think that he can catch. I think that he has issues not only with catching the ball, but also he has some fumble issues too. So main three things that I, that concern me about him are the fumbles is speed and then his pass-catching acumen. Now, maybe he can do something. You've seen like a Jonathan Taylor who wasn't really used in that capacity at Wisconsin be just fine in the NFL, but I haven't seen it. And the biggest concern I have with him is the level of competition because when you see them play a team like LSU, he averaged 2.6 yards a carry, 13 rushes for 34 yards. So see a guy like a Ty J Spears, for example, he goes up, steps up in competition, plays USC. He has his best game of the year. So there's other guys that I prefer over Dwayne McBride, but he's definitely, you know, a different kind of prospect that brings something a little different than some of the other guys. Definitely a, a hard runner and there's some good and there's also some bad. So he'll be on an NFL team, but I don't know if he would be the best pick for the Lions per se. So here we go, Corbin. You wanted a little bit of a debate earlier. I think we can do it here. Okay. Uh, the one issue I have, though, is UAB's offensive line is bad. They have one player who is, I'm not even going to call him draftable, but they have one standout offensive lineman. That is their left tackle, Kadeem Telfort. And I think the issue is, is trying to compare his results for LSU's defense, which has a ton, like LSU's entire defense, all of those guys are going to be drafted next year. The difference is USC has a very poor run defense, and Tulane has a pretty good offensive line. They have probably two or three guys off of that Tulane offensive line that are going to end up in the NFL. So I think that's a really hard comparison to be able to make, especially going from a group of five team up against a top-notch SEC defense versus Hmm. like a really, I don't know, a Swiss cheese Pac-12 defense. Um, The fumbles are definitely an issue. He had nine of them in two years which is a pretty bad mark. But again, like as far as catching passes go, he had five receptions total. It, it that's like you again, you really just can't project if that's going mm. to be an asset for him or not. So, um I think you're right like some guys are able to do that out of nowhere, other guys aren't. Uh that's something the Lions are going to be kind of gambling on, like going in yeah. blind with. Yeah, and don't so. get me wrong, I like him as a day 3 pick. And and I have no knocks against him in the running game other than, you know, his top end speed because he was UAB's offense. And I get that he doesn't have, you know, NFL players on the offensive line that he's playing with. But there are some questions that I still have to his game that leads me to think that he might not be as effective 
some might think. You know, if he was in a backfield with not a lot of competition and he's getting 20, 25 carries a game, then absolutely he is going to be an asset for an NFL team or for a fantasy team. It doesn't really matter. But there are mm-hmm. so many questions that I have that there are other guys that I would prefer over him. And that's just my opinion. But just yep. I really so, like to see the running backs catching passes, and he just did not show the ability to do that. He might be able to, but we have no proof. So it's tough to call. I definitely agree with that. All right, so two more questions for you here, Kyler. What move would you hate to see Brad Holmes make in the first round? Uh, Kalijah can't see first round at all. Yeah, so that's that's going to be a bit of a buzzkill for a lot of Lions fans. Uh, Cansey gets a lot of hype because he is very flashy as an interior pass rusher. The issue is he's short. He does not have any length. He has terrible leverage, and he has really bad run discipline. So I know you had mentioned him earlier in the draft and had said in his first year he'll be a role player. The issue is I don't think he has the upside to be anything more than a role player at any point over his career. Cansey is, he's very fast off the snap. He has good, uh, like, good uh, pass rushing moves with his hands, but he lacks the physicality that you see out of some of those smaller defensive tackles who win in the NFL, you know, like Aaron Donald and Ed Oliver. He just doesn't have that violence to him. And he's all like, I don't think you'll be able to play him on first down in the NFL, like regardless of where he lands, that would be one that would be really disappointing, especially given that the lions, um, you know, that their run defense was not good by just about any metric last year. We saw how their poor run defense actually cost them a playoff spot because, I mean, Carolina ran all over them. So if we're talking about now fixing that and what's going to get the Lions into the playoffs, run defense actually has a higher correlation over the last 10 years to making the playoffs than passing defense does. I think it's an area the Lions really need to improve. And Kalijah Kansi is going the opposite way with that. I agree with you. I mean, pass rushing, like he's got everything that you want, but he just lacks that power. Um, and then also he was very undisciplined too. You know, you, yep. you see him out of position in a lot of different plays. He just has to learn better gap discipline. And I think it's just the like Pittsburgh kind of let them let him do whatever he wanted and said, Hey, like the defense is here to get your back. But at the same time, you're watching the tape, you just see him out of position a lot of times. So run defense is poor, pass rushing is good, but I've soured on him quite a bit as well, so I'm with you there. But the last question I got for you, what position do you think Brad Holmes could double dip in for this draft? I'll uh, I'll actually be nice and go ahead and give you two. I think defensive tackle and offensive line, uh, but those are provided that you can get slightly different players at each one. Uh, so defensive tackle, I would say, is the most likely one. Uh, the Lions depth chart there is uh, just Ali McNeil, Isaiah Bugs, Benito Jones played a little bit. Uh, outside of that, they don't really have a ton of guys. You need to be at least too deep there. So that's one where if they grab like a three technique and then a, and then a nose tackle later on, I think that's a very plausible spot they could double dip. You know, something like, uh, let's say Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. He's probably a nose tackle at the next level. You could take him on day two. And then someone like Devon Shaw Maxwell out of Chattanooga on day three. I think that's very plausible. And both those guys fill different roles. Uh, a similar thing for offensive line. I think they're absolutely going to grab a guard. I also think there's a good shot they grab a tackle as well. The Lions brought back Matt Nelson as sort of their third offensive tackle. Um, but he's really only, he's he's been a bit of a struggle at times. He's pretty inconsistent. Uh, as far as a third offensive tackle goes, he's okay. But I think that's a position Detroit will have plenty of chances to add some, um, you know, add some reinforcements to. 
offensive guard was definitely the one for me. I could see that tackle definitely as well. I think we could go high end of somebody a little bit later as well who brings something different. But uh, again, thanks for coming on, Kyler. We really appreciate your time, your insight here, bringing a little bit of a different perspective that we haven't had so far on the podcast. You did a great job, man. Well, hey, thank you guys very much. As Corbin said, you uh, knew more than us without a doubt, and uh, that that's that's not false. Uh, <laughs> happy to, happy to talk to someone who knew their shit. <laughs> was it was it the Kadeem Telfort comment that got yeah, you? Yeah, that's what definitely got me. I was like, who the fuck is yep. that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we were super happy to have you, and loved hearing your insight. Appreciate you, bud. For sure. Hey, you guys have a great podcast. Listen to an episode and you guys crushed it. So we'll definitely be listening to more of them in the future. Thank you guys for having me and have a great evening. Wait, do you want to plug your shit or anything? Oh, yeah. Hey, if you enjoyed anything that I had to say tonight or wanted to just argue with me over how wrong I am, feel free to go ahead and subscribe to my Substack, which is Detroit Motor City Football. I personally follow it. He has free and paid articles, guys, and it is fantastic insight. I know the draft's right around the corner here, but I've been following along all the way. He posts some great articles that you won't find anywhere else. And give him a follow on Reddit, too, because his posts are always some of the most hottest ones trending any given day. So, again, Kyler, thanks for coming on and be our ipso facto draft guru. Really appreciate it, and we hope to have you back on in the future. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, well, Kyler is gone, so let's get into some of the fun stuff we've got here for today. I think we went through all the listener questions, so we've got a couple of things, but let's start with betting with the belly. Ooh, and this, you caught me on a rare occasion where I'm a couple Coronas deep, so I'm all fired up about how to make some money. But first off, we need to go back and check on the bets from about a month ago. Okay, so anyway, looking back, this is back to March Madness. Corbin, uh, I I think he went 0 for 2. He had his Arkansas plus 3.5 versus UConn, who ended up losing by 23. We all know what happened with UConn. They ended up steamrolling the end of the tournament. Good for them. Proud of the Huskies. And if you do think about it, in our dog basketball draft, I did have a Husky. So I think the voters were flawed. Voters, you pissed me off, but I still love you. And then moving on to your knee-jerk parlay, we had MSU minus 1.5 and, and Arkansas plus 3.5, Gonzaga plus 2.5, and, and Texas minus 3.5. They ended up covering Texas and Gonzaga, but the other ones didn't. So Corbin was 0 for 2. I was 1 for 2. My MMA parlay, if you happen to ride with me, I think it was the last bet I've gotten right in the last month. Um but other than that, I've been losing out of my ass. My alt spread parlay, that went to shit. And then going on to John, he took MSU over Kansas State, minus 134 money line. And I think we were all heartbroken that day on how that bet went down. It was a tight game. It was a fun game. But, man, that Kent State guy set the record. What was his name again? Uh, no- Noel. Marcus Noel, right? Yeah, he can play, man. And it would really suck if you took, like, Michigan State like plus four and a half or something live betting right oh yeah that was me that was also <laughs> me I took Michigan State plus four and a half and that bastard scored that last layup good for him <laughs> fuck me whatever you want to talk about it didn't go good for me that weekend I think I distinctly remember how much I lost we're not going to disclose that amount but it's above three units moving on to the best this week Corbin what do you got for us oh 
I don't know if Vegas is on to something, but I've been looking at some of these NFL draft odds, and there's one player in particular, Jalen Carter. His pick number is set at six and a half. So under six and a half, he would go top six. Over six and a half, he would go seven or above. He is plus 150 to go under six and a half. So I can't see him getting past the Seahawks or the Lions. I'm going to take that under. I mean, plus 150. I just, I just can't see it happening. I know that there's character concerns, but the talent is there. And I don't think it's as serious as some of the other issues we've seen in the past. So pounding that one three maybe four units who knows i don't, I don't hate that um my whole thing so and i know i'm a dumbass here but the way that the under and the over was described in the DraftKings sports book it kind of got me confused because a lot of the odds seemed like they were messed up you know what i mean so like when they say under six and a half they mean that it's going to be six and a half or like five or four correct yes Yes. Because there's a bunch of odds in there that I feel like you can find a lot of value in if you're passionate about where things are going to fall. I don't know if I'd follow our mock draft, but, <laughs> you know, anything's possible. Um, I think our mock Boy. draft, we might have made Kyler a little mad with some of our picks. He would have been done doing something else. I think I saw him mouth <laughs> no a couple times, but you know what? That's neither here nor there. He spends all his time on that. Um, anyway, moving on to John, what do you got for your bets? Uh, for my for my bets, uh, first I want to I want to back up and ask you: if, Are you a, a boxing fan, Ben? Uh, yes and no. I'm definitely more UFC, but I do tune into the boxing matches because normally they air after the UFC event, and I'm just itching for one more fight. I was just interested. Did you bet on the uh, Garcia versus Tank Davis fight, and how did that go? For no, you? no, no. I'm taking a hiatus because uh, I was very confident. I had like two or three weeks where I won big in a row, and then I lost it all the three weeks after that. So I'm taking a step back for a little bit, recalibrating my uh, my center. And so I didn't, but I would have taken Gianta Davis. So um, my bet is I'm a little more nervous about after hearing what Kyler thinks about this guy, but... Uh, I had Hendon Hooker minus 165 to be first-round pick. I still feel good about it because Vegas seems to know what they're talking about. And on individual players, those kind of odds are actually pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't love hearing what, what he had to say about Hendon Hooker. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting uh, as a second bet was it said that... Uh, so Will Levis is... Uh, favored to be the second quarterback taken. Um, so it comes down to on the third quarterback, basically between C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson, which I think is really interesting because Anthony Richardson actually has better odds to be taken above C.J. Stroud as the third quarterback taken. So I'm actually going to take C.J. Stroud plus 150 to be the third quarterback taken. So you're saying that C.J. Stroud's going to go ahead of Will Levis, but after Anthony Richardson? Uh, well, Vegas is actually saying that uh, Will Levis will be the second quarterback taken. Oh, yeah? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen him shooting up draft boards, as we talked about earlier, which is super interesting because everybody was so low on Levis, like, moving up to this draft. But, yeah, I mean, not a bad bet. We're all gambling. He's minus 135 to be the number two overall pick, Will Levis. Okay, yeah, I guess there's some rumblings, or DraftKings got an insider. And then you got one more here on the sheet. What do you got for us? 
so my my last one is a little more of a flyer. Jalen Carter plus three eighty to the Lions at six. Never know how things are gonna fall, but uh, if he is there, I think there's a very high chance they take him. Moving on to my bet, uh, I took the first tight end taken uh, despite our mock draft. Corbin, I think, took Michael Mayer. He went to the Cowboys. Uh, I do kind of think that Jake Ferguson's going to do some work there. I don't know if they're going to make tight end a priority at that point. I went with Dalton Kincaid, plus 115 is the first tight end taken off the board. If the Cowboys pass on a tight end, I think that uh, they take the receiving threat over the to a two-fold blocking ability of Michael Mayer. So I'm going with Dalton Kincaid plus 115 first tight end taken off the board. Um, and that is going to wrap up betting with the belly. Of course you had to take a tight end for your bet. Classic belly. I think right you might there. go to the Bengals. Some things never change. It'd be a good fit, I guess, but I already got enough weapons. Let's move it on. We got two more segments to cap it off, guys, and this one's going to be quick. Belly and I had a nice weight loss challenge. I think we should just share our results, see so how we did, because one did very good and one did bad. So, yeah. So, yeah, the weight loss bet came down to the wire. Um, our, our good friend Cam had a nice, like, six, seven-pound lead on me going into the last week. But if there's one thing you know about the belly, the man can lose weight and gain weight with the best of them. And so what I did was... I went for it. I was looking back at my step counter. I was averaging 14,000 steps a day. I think the last day before I had like 28,000. And anyway, going into the last week, I had lost a whopping eight pounds to drop 3.46% to steal it from Cam Fowler, who had a commanding lead. I will say I did not do anything healthy, nor do I recommend it. Um, what happened was, is I woke up that morning. I thought that Cam was going to really go for it, but he just got off a nice Mexico trip, so he gained a little bit of weight. Uh, the weight that I would have been at the morning I woke up would have won it after everybody submitted their weights. I uh, had an apple and two glasses of water at work, which apparently put me over the number. So I had to come home. I had to tell my boss I needed to take a personal day, which is not... I wouldn't say that it was very good. It was only a half a personal day, but I did that anyway. Came home. I was about 1.6, maybe 1.8. I can't remember the exact number over the limit. So I threw a trash bag on, mowed the lawn, and then I was sweating up a storm. It was like emptying a kiddie pool out of this garbage bag. And so I dumped the kiddie pool out, went for a uh, walk around the block thinking that would be enough, and I was still 0.6 pounds away from the winning number. So what I did was I threw a fresh new trash bag on because it was like a swamp in the first one, went for another run around the block, and then my kidney started to hurt. But you know what? Got back from that run, <laughs> and I hit the number, and I took the gold for a whopping 14.67% loss in three months. Corbin, our boy, on the other hand, who weighed himself in at the freight uh scale which didn't even go to a decimal point i don't think the kid ever even went down to his skivvies because it was at work and he might have caught an hr fiasco but anyway our boy our boy corbin lost in three months 0.63 percent for a total of 1.4 pounds the man the man wanted it I realized in about week three when he didn't want it that bad, when he said, I didn't eat that bad. All I had was a Little Caesars pizza and a Conrad's wrap for Michigan State's Conrad's. And I was like, eh, <laughs> that'll do it, bud. I mean, 
I have I have one crouton and I blow up like Kirby after sucking in Fox and Super Smash Bros. <laughs> I will say I did actually make good changes to my diet and maybe that was one like bad week, but I was working out three to five times every single week. I was intermittent fasting and I was eating significantly healthier. I feel like honestly, if anything, I just was building too much muscle. So I definitely look better. But in terms of weight loss, not so much. Hey, straight upon the weightlifting over the cardio. Simple mistake in the weight loss bet, but your boy remains undefeated with another gold medal and a nice ripe $137 in his pocket. But it was more for the pride for me, despite what my internal organs might be saying. Somehow I didn't lose somehow I didn't lose all my money. That was the one thing I was happy about, just to get a little bit back. <laughs> Well, you would pull off these weeks where you would lose like two pounds, and I think that's just because you put on a Henley instead of a sweater that day, and it <laughs> and it led to a couple weekly victories. But that is wrapping up our weight loss bet. I've probably gained most of it back by now because I always inflate post-bet. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up for the weight loss challenge. All right, and we've got one more segment to conclude this podcast, and we are going to go down into the guts once more, traveling through the intestines into the bowels of the belly. What do you got for us, Ben? So this one might hit a little more personally than it did for you guys, but let me tell you about my first Nashville FC game. So my buddy, who's a diehard soccer fan, and I've been watching the Wrexham documentary, so I've been getting around to it. I played a little soccer in high school, but never quite dove into the soccer fandom outside of the World Cup. So my buddy invites me, and he's like, hey, I'm trying to find you a ticket, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, it's 15 bucks. I Venmo him the money. And he kept asking what I want to do and how the game's going to go, what I want to do before. And I was like, you know what, Josh? I'm in tow. I'm like that tubed child behind a lake on a boat just getting tossed off the tube, and you just (laughs) bring me whatever you want. So what he did was he took me to a cider bar to start. And so I'm ripping cider. You know, it's probably like, remember when we were in Tahoe and they found out, or maybe it was Crested Butte, where we figured out that a Red's Apple Ale had 250 calories (laughs) per bottle? Well, I was ripping those ciders, just (laughs) eating my whole meal After that, went to another spot, got a pizza, got two more beers, walked to a convenience store, got myself some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. They were delicious as always, very consistent candy. Um, And then we finally get to the stadium, and he looks at me dead in the eyes, and I am tuned up at this point. And he goes, just so you know, we're going to try to sneak into the club level. And I was like, what do you mean we're trying to sneak in? I bought a ticket. He's like, no, we're going to try to sneak in. And at this point, I I, I was not ready. I was not prepped. I I didn't do any casework. Um, so then we go to walk in he's like, listen, we got a, we got a screenshot of someone's ticket for the club. Well, all you do is flash it to the first lady and the first lady is the first line of defense. She's not really dialed in. So, uh, we get through that and then we reach level two, level two. The guy's looking at your phone a little harder, like scouring a little more. And I was like, well, we can't go in at the same time. Cause we got the same club level ticket from our buddy. So we go through level two with a breeze. And then this is where it gets tough because they scan your ticket at club level to get into the free food and booze area. 
So we're casing the joint. We're looking around. A couple of my coworkers end up walking up while I'm half in the bag. And I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. I'm on a mission right now. I'm in the CIA. I'm trying to pull some shit off. <laughs> so then we're, we're watching these people scan in. And I was like, what we got to do is wait for them to be scanning, turn the other way, and then go in the outdoor. So we try, and my buddies, Nashville FC's colors are like neon yellow. So it's a very spottable apparel. So we go to walk in and like what would happen is like I'd be in mid-conversation then I'd just dart because I saw an opening. And so my buddy would follow me like eight steps behind. We got to try to go in the exit and the guy yells at him. He's like, hey, 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 yellow, yellow, get back here. And he's like, do you have a wristband? And I'm like, nah, man. So then we go, we leave, we <laughs> failed. So then we leave and then my buddy goes, we got to try again at halftime. So... After halftime comes around, we get through stage one and stage two like a breeze, like we've done it before, like 18 minutes prior. And so then um, we're sitting there. We're casing the joint. We're just watching these people, seeing if we can find Mm -hmm. our way in. And then all of a sudden, um, there's a shift change. And I said, I know that in every bank robbery movie I've ever seen, the shift change is when you strike. That's when people are their most vulnerable. (laughs) So the shift change occurs Old man River walks away, new guy walks up, and as new guy walks up, he goes to the bar, and I just started walking. We walk into the club level like savants, and we just get right in, and then, um, so the thing is, though, about the club level is you get your beer, and then you go back out to the stadium to, like, drink and stuff. We didn't go back out. We just sat on this couch and watched the game for another hour and a half, and people... Everybody's looking at us like, man, these guys won't leave. And shit, free booze, free booze, free food. There was no chance we were leaving. So then the kicker is the game ends. We're all tuned up because we've been drinking free cocktails for the rest of the night. We end up walking away, and the way that the Nashville uh, uh, FC Stadium is, is right by a racetrack. We end up going around the wrong exit, and we end up like on the racetrack, like not in the stands of the racetrack. Like we could have walked around the entire racetrack. There's a very funny video. Maybe we'll post it. Maybe we won't. And then we had to buy a $50 Uber home. But you know what? That is much less than I would have spent in booze. So we thought we were in the CIA. So then <laughs> after the fact, we uh, Josh, who's hammered, is telling his wife about this. And I texted him the morning after. I was like, we are in the CIA. And she texts us back because obviously he's sitting next to her. She's like, all you did was walk through an open door. You didn't do anything <laughs> that cool. And I was like, sounds like someone who's jealous that they're not in the CIA. <laughs> fun in the lower level bitch we got clubs and that and that concluded my yeah (laughs) we we were on the top i didn't think the night was going to go that well i had a great night sneaking in is always so much more fun it's the thrill of the chase man exactly i did almost that exact thing at a world cup semi-final game did you make it in yes ah you can be in the cia then john where's your story corbin (laughs) I don't know. I definitely have some. I think one. Yeah. We snuck down to our seats from a previous game. We brought our tickets. We ended up fifth row at a World Cup semifinal game. That is awesome. Well, yeah, and throughout the night, like, he kept saying, like, your seat's not by mine, so let's just sit wherever. And we probably got kicked out of seats four times while we were waiting to make our move. That was a good one, Belly. Yeah, I'll have to think of what mine is. I definitely have done something like that. Whoa, actually, I've got one. I've snuck into Electric Forest like six years in a row and never had to pay when I was back oh, in high yeah, school. Oh, yeah, I've done that too. Yeah, I was well, the... I mean, if you just walk if you just walk in looking oh. like you're high, do they just flag oh, no, you on? No. Way more oh, difficult man. than we... you think, Ben. Oh, shit. Yeah. Got to sneak <laughs> we through, go the... through the woods. Yeah, the... 
up fence over a creek, sneak under by the porta potties, lift the yeah. fence up. Had a whole route. Did we do it together, Corbin? I don't know. Maybe I did it my junior year, and it was easy. And then senior year, a little harder. And then after that, it was tough. I probably snuck in like thirty people into Electric Forest. Yeah, I went in right by the porta potties under the fence, so I'm. I think maybe we snuck in together. Corbin, you sound like the. You sound like a person who, uh, like a Sherpa, to get someone across the border. I was. I would tell people into Electric Forest. I would tell everybody, you guys. I know the route. Trust me. You go through the disc golf course. Once you get to the cornfield, you take a right. Don't hit the creek. Walk straight until you get to the porta potties. Lift that fence, and you are golden. Hear that, belly in the fish escape artist or entrance artist you never know all right well that's gonna do it for this week guys thanks again for sticking with us and we are going to be back next week to recap the draft with our actual picks if you haven't already please follow subscribe like and download on spotify apple Podcasts, and any other platform you might listen to us on don't forget to leave us a review give us five stars and follow me on twitter at like corbyashi we also got the belly and the fish instagram and twitter accounts going feel free to dm us some ideas for any segments or anything you'd like to hear and continue to spread the good word tell your friends family coworkers, and anyone and everyone you can think of we appreciate the love and support guys yeah big shout out to kyler coming on and Huge shout out to the fans for uh, reaching out to the page and asking us questions. We love the uh, we love the feedback and we love to hear what you want to hear to make the show better for you. So, want to thank our special guest Kyler and want to thank our very special guest John for coming on once again. You're always the best guest, John. I'm so special. I'm just excited for Thursday. Should be fun to see what what ends up shaking out. Oh, yeah, the key is to watch a two-TV tandem of the ESPN feed and the Pat McAfee show. Their draft spectacular is great. We're hoping to get that up and running maybe next year. We're still working on the video kinks, but I think we're trying to nail the audio down first. All right, that's going to do it, guys. And with that said...